G'day, folks. Down under Sigma, you're here with Anthony and the coach. Well, I am the coach. I've got a split personality tonight. Uh, forgetting who I am in previous episodes, I think it's a loss of the beard, Liam. What do you think? Do you reckon my brains might have been attached to the beard? I think so, because I think since, like, you've lost majority of the beard, I think you've lost majority of the brain. So mm. you need to grow it back, and then the brain grows back as well, just like the human body develops as, like, I don't know, a child. So, so for anyone who's listening to the podcast, now that we're on podcast form, uh, I have shaved my beard off in the name of Movember, raising money for uh, men's health and uh, all the great things that they've been doing, 11th year that I've been growing a moustache and raising money. Uh, if you want to donate, there is a link in the uh, episode description, but uh, the beard has gone. I had the beard for oh, over 12 months, uh, actually probably since last November, so uh I, I think you shaved it for like interviews and stuff earlier this uh, year. Trim, trim, trimmed it down. Trimmed it, yeah. And then yeah. like its full growth came in, I think about like four months ago. So yeah. Got like a nice beard shampoo and kind of like massage it and a comb. And Kieran, you and looked, don't look like, and looked wise. Yeah. Our, our, our guest here, Kieran, looks like he's never shaved a day in his life. Uh, Kieran is uh, from the Lords of Ruin. <laughs> A very competitive, awesome gamer. I should do the introduction before he starts giving me shit. Uh, Kieran uh, is notorious for writing really hard, strong lists. Uh, most recently, doing what 166 depravity points in one game, City GT, with his Slanesh. Uh, very balanced army. How are you, Kieran? Yeah, I'm doing well. It's funny you mentioned shaving. I actually shaved yesterday, just in preparation for this. But. <laughs> 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 I shaved yesterday in preparation for today. Uh, amazing. I shaved, I shaved uh, like uh, an hour ago and I'm already growing stubble. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> so this is your channel debut. Kieran, do you want to give the internet a bit of an introduction on who you are and why you're here today? Um, so, yeah, I'm Kieran. I'm part of Lords of Ruin. Um, just really like um, Age of Sigmar and just Warhammer stuff in general. Um, just been playing Warhammer since I was a little kid. And um, just past year, I've really gotten into the Age of Sigmar competitive scene and met some wonderful people like Anthony and Liam. Um, and just, yeah, it's, it's just been a blast. Um, just, this, it's, yeah, it's been a roller coaster. Learning yeah. lots of stuff. Look, you're already on the show. You don't need to suck up. Uh, you can say that, you know, we're, we're a bunch of turds, yeah. although we are club mates, so uh, watch what you say. <laughs> I, I'll do my I, best. I remember playing, I think you, I think it was like this time last year with your, like, your death list. Yeah, game yep. Yeah, and yep. that was just like, and I was just like, this is busted. Like, hell no. And that was when my... Yeah, and that's when my true love for Grimgush Reapers really grew, Anthony. It's yeah. all thanks to Kieran. <laughs> thanks, Kieran. And look, um, uh, Kieran, I I've always been impressed. One of the things and one of the reasons why I had to get Kieran on the show was that um, something that Kieran does that nobody would know outside of our games club is that um, for every tournament that the Lords, Lords of Ruin attend, especially because we announce our round one matchups well in advance, Kieran will actually do a deep dive analysis for each person out of nowhere about the strengths and things to look out for and some synergies. And uh, he's very, very smart when it comes to looking at an army, breaking it down to practical advice, which is why I thought he was perfect to talk about competitive list building and really understanding how to get the most out of your book. 
Um, I will address the pink elephant in the room. There was meant to be Mick Crichton. However, Mick from the failed charge got called into work literally two minutes before the episode goes live. I've thrown out a couple of shouts to some other competitive players. They may drop in. Otherwise, it is going to be Kieran, Liam, and I talking about competitive list building. There is a lot of questions. We shouted out to our Twitter, to, to Discord, to Facebook, and a lot of questions have come in, and I'm sure the chat uh, is going to throw up some more questions as we go. Uh, let's... What do you reckon? Yeah, I'm quite scared of these questions, not going to lie. Like, super scared. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I'm sick excited for this. Let's do this. So before we get into, into before, before we get into that topic, we should probably just do a bit of a roundtable of what's happened lately. Uh, it's been two weeks, weeks since the last episode. We've obviously had the, uh, the Runax team event, which was a four-person team event, 22, 24 teams up in Brisbane. Uh, awesome event run by Gabe and uh, the failed charge was streaming the event, which was pretty incredible. Yeah, it was awesome. Really good setup as well. And they were like, what, looking back at it, it was a pretty cool stream, what they've done, which was cool. So yeah, it was an awesome event. So yeah, killer Kieran, trip. Kieran, what's, we, uh, you've recently been playing. I think I saw you won maybe the Games Workshop, Liverpool. Would you come second in the, the final? Um, I came first in the yeah the store files i was running the celeskin host and yeah yeah it's as broken as everyone thinks it is yeah good. let's just put it that way glad you came to a games <laughs> workshop event and you uh ruined face with uh with that <laughs> i just say Ugh. i just love how like when the rules showed up for that like host and everyone's like that seems busted and everyone's like nah it seems okay but then someone actually took it out and just went no no it's busted <laughs> Uh, I will say, um, having not many command points sucks, but yeah, the double depravity, man, Jesus. Let me up for it. Look, it doesn't matter. Oh. Shooting is back. We're going to shoot Slanish off before they even get into combat. So who cares about your locus? I'm going to shoot you off the board. Uh, KO is going to win CanCon 2020. We know all roads lead to CanCon. Uh, Kieran oh. is freaking out right now, thinking about all of those Endron Riggers and uh, maybe some... Yeah. Some skyhawks into the face of a uh, couple of heroes. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe I won't take some ash just in case. <laughs> um, um, sweet. What else has been happening in the past two weeks? We got a new army announced. Yeah. So, so the night before, the night before, actually, no, it was the day of uh, Runax. They announced. What did they announce, Liam? They announced the best-looking Chaos Warriors and Chaos Knights I've ever seen, plus a guy riding a lizard um, or an iguana, whatever you want to call it. It's ginormous iguana. It is beautiful in so many ways and not going to dive into it because I have, like, another project in the mind, but, like, God, those models are cool. And also, those are really cool Blood Knights as well. So anyone asking for plastic Blood Knights, they came out. So, yeah, yeah. And, and they are deep approved. Uh, no longer do you need to use the uh, the high elf uh, dragon princes for, for your yeah. blood knights. Look no further than your new chaos knights. Go get them. Uh, they look great. All you need to do is just, just I think, it and then yeah. And they're the last army that was needing a battle time as well, I think, right? Like, is that right? Because I, I think this yeah. like, they're the only. I think so. It is tying yeah. all the marauders and stuff into it. So I think it is the last battle time. Till then, now it's just like redoing, let's say, Caradron or whatever. Caradron, Seraphon. Yeah. Uh, Seraphon, maybe. Um, and then yeah. 
Can we also talk about the majestic? Because it is technically AOS, the majestic llama that they also like announced. I was going to say because Kieran is a cat guy, it looks like a very much like a llama sphinx cat. Uh, Kieran, you're going to add that to your uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, um, I, I don't think my other cats will like a new competitor on the field, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep, yep, totally understand. But yeah, Enough felines in this house. Yeah, they're amazing. It's, it's great to see, because they're already, like, good models, but just, they've just updated them, kept the same aesthetic, it's, it's, it's wonderful, is it? Do you think we're going to see a lot of the new Slaves to Darkness at, at CanCon? Yes. Absolutely. I'd like, it, it's literally just painting time would be the only deterrent, but like those models are it's, amazing. This, this... It's not even it's not even seeing the new models. It's more like the fact that there's going to be a supported battle time for the people who have yeah. a, like undivided chaos just to be like running it. Or you could start seeing people take like more mortal heavy like Sanesh or Nurgle or yeah. um, Zench and Corn. Like you could start seeing like Safe Seductness Corn maybe. There's some cool buffs going on there. So, um, yeah, like, I reckon this book is definitely going to bring it in. And also, I'm really keen to see what they do with Archeon. Because yeah. he's a model and rule... Like, he's a great model. His rules don't give his model justice, in my opinion. So, um, you do... The big, the, the big rumor is a, a Ren 2 sword. Uh, some other changes to the War Scroll, but um, obviously nothing's confirmed. Yeah, like, I played an Archeon at Runax, and I thought it was weird that my Colonel Hunters with size, who are just, like... Half the size of him, they were doing Ren 2 to him, and he has Ren 1, and he has a big sword that slays heroes. I'm like, this does not make sense, but we'll go with it. Well, so, I mean, there's that Deepkin hero that has, what, a Ren 5 or 7 Ren artifact five. in the book? Yeah, something ridiculous. Oh, yeah, Volturnus, yeah. How, how does Volturnus have a Ren 5 and the Slayer of Kings, the destruction of the old world, uh, has a Ren 1 sword? Power creep. Anyways. Um... Do, do you think, um, before we get off the Slave to Darkness, do you think... This is a uh, an army that people will just rebase from the old world into the new world, or do you think it's going to entice people to start a new Slaves to Darkness army? Yeah, go. I, I guess both. Like, um, I've kind of got an old Slaves to Darkness question. It, like, it belongs to my brother, but like, I'm looking at just rebasing them and just having another army to play with. Um, and but yeah, the, those new models. I'm like. They look so much better. I just want to use them instead, you know. So I think it'll be both for sure, just because they fit right in. So they're not going to look out of place if you um, add them in. And, um, yeah. Do you think the Warcry Warbands will slot in properly? Uh, do, or do you think it'll be more like uh, the Underworld's Warbands, which are, in theory, sound good, but no one ever really runs the, uh, the Underworld Warbands in a competitive list? Uh, I, I guess it's hard to say because I haven't really looked at the Warcry band's current rules, and so I I haven't seen them at all. So I assume like they might get an update, and they will see them. But yeah, it's hard to say. Liam, what's um, your prediction? It'd be cool. Yeah, I think um, it'd be awesome. So, hear me out. So what we're going to see is we're going to see people like Beasts of Chaos, people who had a Beast of Chaos army, they rebase their models, right? So we'll see that group. Yeah, that's what we call the OG people. We yeah. love those people. So, so shout out to the likes of uh, Sean Ratcliffe, uh, Travis Cooper, Hayden Walker's yeah. even running Slaves to Darkness right now. There's a bunch of them out there. So shout out, you didn't get on the bandwagon. Yeah, so like those guys, they're literally going to be like, cool, this is great. I've got to support a battle tome. Let's do this. I don't need to buy five other battle tomes to run this stuff. Let's do this. 
And then you got the people who were like, I always want to run an ever chosen army, but it just doesn't make sense to be competitive. So you're going to see people who are going to rock up and buy Archeon and some Baron Guard and a Gaunt Summoner, run the battalion probably that has like, you can do whatever you want with a priority. And then you'll start seeing them like do some cool Slice of Darkness stuff. And we are Baron. seeing some of the playtesters running around with a whole bunch of Baron Guard. So uh, I reckon they're cool. Again, they're really cool models and it just sucks where we can't see them. Due to their current rule set, again, just doesn't do them justice. Like, you can't give them a keyword or anything unless Archeon's on the table. So, yeah. um, that's, what I, that's what I'm really excited about, is to see um, all those models that are really cool just to be on the table. Um, and it'll be really cool to see some of the monsters as well kicking in as well. Like, um, yeah, I'm just excited, really. And then to answer your question about the Warcry... They're really cool rules, really cool models. And I reckon you will see them as like little support units, kind of like similar to like what you see of tree revs in a way. Like they're just like one small unit of them just to harass or just to hold objectives for dirt cheap. If that makes sense? Because I don't think points wise they're actually that expensive. Because you, so, you did have your marauders back in the day, which you get them in blocks of 10 and people would get a lot of blocks of 10 of those marauders. And they obviously changed yeah. that to blocks of 20. Maybe this could be the MSU type small blocks of battle line or, or harassing units. Um, yeah. Well, we're starting to see that now with Chaos Warriors. Chaos Warriors now for 90 points of five for five models is a bargain for 10 wounds. And yeah. they just chill at the back kind of thing. Then you just spam whatever you want. Um, so, yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. I reckon most of the armies now, to be honest with the new battle times, have actually pretty much gone MSU. Um, like we're seeing it with like the new Bone Daddies. Uh, we're seeing it with Deepkin, kinda. Um, so like some of the new battle supported battle times and stuff have all gone MSU. Just ignoring so. Cities of Sigmar and Orc Warclans. No, they got they got thirty blocks of Phoenix Guard just chilling. So they're not really who, doing who, MSU. Who probably. would run a block of thirty Phoenix Guard? I, I don't no, know. I, who knows? I wouldn't. And also shout out to Craig awesome. Anderson, who's OG uh, uh, ever chosen as well. He's been running. Uh, and, and then for a, a number of years so uh, shout out to anyone who's been running Slaves of Darkness we love you that you've persisted and uh, finally you have been rewarded so uh, I'm very excited to see uh, Archeon the protagonist hopefully taking over from Nagash a little bit and um, and and seeing where the world takes us whether it's going to be light elves shadow elves uh, who knows um, rumored there's still rumored tomb kings coming I know uh, some people got upset about the Bone Daddies, but there are still rumours of Tomb Kings, so who knows? Light Skeletons. No. Who knows where Archeon's going to take us? Who knows? Nagash has been doing pretty good, so I think this is probably the time where it's going to be Age of Chaos again. So mm. Archeon's time again. Because, like, let's be honest, when Legion of Nagash book came out, it was like we saw a massive creep of death come in, and Nagash was taking over quite heavily, so this probably might be the time. And it's around the same time this year, actually when Nagash kind of like took over. So probably it's Archeon's time to reign, um, which would be kind of cool, which I'm super excited about. So yeah. It's, it's mm. been a long time. It's been a long time. And uh, Craig Anderson does have the best ever chosen player record and he's got the badge. So uh, check out the rankings. He is legit. He is OG. It says, as, as, uh, as soon as they announced the Slice of Darkness thing, I just I tagged him immediately like, dude, 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 come on. So we, uh, for? <laughs> so we were with Hayden Walker. Um, he's in our team and we'll stay at his house for Runax. And uh, he was running Splanished Light, which was essentially Slaves to Darkness, Darkness. Uh, with with the with the markings of Slanesh. And 
uh, I know he's really excited. So uh, let's look look forward to seeing what the release looks like in December. Um, could be a nice little change to the meta. Oh, it'll be refreshing, that's for sure. But, Anything yeah. else to the battle coming up this week? I know uh, obviously this is a Sigma um, uh, podcast and show, but those sisters look incredible. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie. My wallet is just like either picking like a download festival ticket or sisters of battle. So I'm kind of like hurting right now. So um, yeah, like they're just awesome. And that box that they're releasing for it is amazing value from what I can tell. So yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. Really good time for Games Workshop this year with all the releases they've done. I don't think they've actually had a fault of a release. I don't think they have. So yeah, which is good. I, I would have liked some endless spells uh, and a terrain piece, but we're, we're what, the Sigma. Yeah. Oh my god. Come on, man. Everyone where, where, where's the frozen uh, let it go gift when you need it? Let it go. Uh, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> let it go, coach. You have empowered spells. And also um, you ignore spells on a fucking five up. That's that's one allegiance. And uh all right. All right. Hang on, wait, wait. So can I just Kieran, can I just ask you something? What would you rather? Endless spells and a terrain piece or five different ways to play your army? Like seven, isn't there? Okay, there we go. Seven. What what would you prefer? Seven different ways to play. Thank right. you very much. All right. I'd, I'd be curious to see what the chat and uh, our listeners think. Would you rather a terrain piece and endless spells or would you prefer some different builds? Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, all right, since Liam is actually winning uh, an argument for the first time ever, uh, I'm going to I'm going to sidetrack and not only thank all of our Patreons who have helped keep the lights on and keep me fed and uh, not homeless on the streets, but I really appreciate their support. We've also got a whole bunch of events coming up. So Castle Assault, uh, you and I, Liam, are going up to Newcastle this weekend. Uh, I think the following weekend we've got Arena of Blood up in Rockingham and we're doing a list review next week uh, with Dan Cochran. We've got Masters coming up at the end of the month. Uh, we've got HeroCon, which is a uh, an event which is run across multiple platforms or game systems that raise money for our uh, service people. So check that out if you are up in Brisbane and you're looking for an event. And then obviously Call to Glory, which is the world's largest Age of Sigmar event. 244 players. I actually... Uh, Clint breached his uh, cap. He didn't realize that he went over and now he uh, is is waiting for people to drop out or he has to go 144 and uh, play nice with the tournament organizers. Um, Liam, what are you going to run at CanCon? Uh, okay. The goal is Bone Daddies. Um, and I need to work out my outfit for that weekend. Um, so, yeah, like... Pretty much the goal is Bone Daddies. I'll see how I go this month with painting-wise. And then I think in December I have like two and a half, three weeks off work. So that will probably help me out quite a bit. But, um, yeah, hopefully they get Bone Daddies, really. Uh, yourself, man, are you going to take your cities and where, and where you're... Well, um, let's ask our guest first. We've got, we got a guest. Kieran, what are you going to run? I can't see him. I can't see him right now because I'm <laughs> in like my face right now. <laughs> Kieran, what are you gonna um, run? And chat, what are you gonna run? What are you guys running? Um, I actually am looking at running bone. That is too. Um, just jumping on that bandwagon, I guess. But if not, if I can't get them done, it'll probably be Slanesh. Um, it's 
it's not bandwagoning when it wasn't there originally. It's just jumping it on the cool train. That's all it is. It's no such thing as bandwagoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. I love, I love yep. Robert Lewis's uh, comment, by the way. He says uh, he would choose depending on how phallic the terrain piece was. And I know Liam, the bone daddy himself, has a huge phallic terrain piece. Uh, very, very, very phallic. Um, yeah, God love it. And and to answer your question, I will be taking Cities of Sigma. I don't know if I'm going to take uh, the the Hello Heart or Hammer Hall or Grey Water Fastness. They are the three that my free people, free guild, uh, most uh, identify with. Um, you know, it's really good Anvil Guard because War Hydras become battle line. Yeah, but that's very elf. So and my army is not elf. Convert it. Didn't you? Hang on. Sorry. Okay. Just to let everyone know who's listening and watching, Magro has bought elves. He bought 30 elves. What did he do with those elves? They're all free guild. If you want to see, uh, go go onto my Twitter, go onto the AOS Coach uh, Facebook page. There will be photos up there where I've converted my free guild, uh, free guild, sorry, my, my Phoenix Guard into free guild. So uh, I've, I've green stuffed the comment on their chests. I've uh, kit bash the living bejesus out of them so they don't look elf or as little elf as possible and they are magically uh magically charged uh humans so thanks you know man. what's you know what you know what's magically charged humans called elves yeah and you just upset all the dungeons and dragons players because uh, that is not correct um <laughs> What is correct is we have a whole bunch of new Aussie content that's come up, and because of the rage of Liam last fortnight, I have included Notorious AOS, our friends across the ditch. So, um, so last last week, last sorry, last episode, I got crushed because Liam said uh, we should be talking about them, even though they're not Australian. They are absolutely our big friends and our brothers. So, uh, Notorious, check them out. They put a really cool podcast out around Masters. Um, Heralds have put out a episode around uh, Adventures in the Cities of Sigma. Uh, Runax, uh, sorry, Runax. Um, Fail Charge put up the uh, the videos, a live stream from the Fail Charge. Doom and Darkness has got his uh, Doomcast out. Measured Gaming's been putting out a bunch of bat reps. They've just hit number fifty, and I really enjoyed the Bone Reapers versus Iron Jaws. Um, Cinderfall Gaming had a really interesting episode. Uh, that that title is incorrect. It's actually uh, a, a video with. Andrew, um, our, our friend who looks like Gotrek, uh, and he's Molten Heart, Free City, so a bit of lore. And uh, tomorrow night, I am recording faction-focused Cities of Sigma. So we're going to deep dive and try to tackle this amazing, huge, complex book. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, any other podcasts, any shout-outs you guys want to make from that hashtag content creators? No. Oh. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, so anyone else? Uh can't really think of anyone else, really. What else have I been watching? I've been like, like listening to like people just talk about Bone Daddies and watching Bone Daddy reports. It's been great. And speaking of Bone Daddies, in two weeks' time, we'll be recording a Bone Daddies episode. So yourself and uh, Matt, the Mayor Tyrrell. Um, so you guys will be doing the the faction. Yeah, focus. I I really need to find time to play like three or four games before we do that. So let's well, let's let's get on that. Um, let's not do any hammer on that. Let's actually provide value that we're not making shit up. Liam making shit up never. Anyways, um, but yeah, no, I'm super. It's been great time with the content creators. There's been so many people, which is great to see. 
So by the way, by the way, I'm going to call out Merchant Print who, Prince who said the ideal scenario would be to delete the elves from Cities of Sigma and then give us endless spells and terrain. I would accept that. No, uh, no, I would not accept that at all. Elves have life too. They have souls. They're not. <laughs> except I do want to use my Frost Phoenix, but convert that into the uh, the Ice Queen of Kislev. I've talked about a few times. Uh, so maybe I do need elves. Maybe I boot the dwarves. I don't. I feel like I need the, the dwarves less. Can I, can I just say? What is the most durable unit in that book? What is the most durable unit in that Flag book? Flagellants. Okay, no. It's called Phoenix Guard. And now what are Phoenix Guard? What is their keyword? Uh, humans. Elves. Elves. Now, what is the most awesome hero unit in that book? I'm pretty sure it's a Frostheart Phoenix with an anointed one on top. Hurricanum. Okay, but what does the Phoenix get for spells? Plus one to save. Yeah, they're gonna get plus one. It's anyway, almost like it's almost like elves are amazing. Uh, oh yeah, we got eternal guards. Eternal guards are really good. Right, and and yeah. So we got all right. There's a bit of elf love happening in the chat here. Um, I feel like I have the wrong. Uh, this is this is Liam is like a broken watch. He's correct twice a day, and this is one of those two times. Should we stop talking smack and should we get into the topic of the week, which is about competitive list building? Yeah, because we have a lot of questions. We do. We have a huge amount of questions. There's going to be more questions probably coming from the chat. So if I don't get to the chat straight away, guys, we will bring that up as, as much as possible. Uh, we were meant to have Mick Crichton here. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it because of work. Uh, called out in the last minute. But Kieran and Liam, you guys are going to be our two uh, guests here. I'm going to add, uh, add value when I can. But, you know, Liam, you have gone to the Masters. You've qualified for the Masters and attended twice. Um, so you are a very competitive player and a very good player, especially outside of the meta. You've run Sylvaneth, you've run a whole bunch of armies that aren't just the meta. Uh, Kieran, yourself, you've run not only meta armies, but really quirky lists, and you're also someone who adds a lot of value to other people when it comes to building, and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're wonderful in this space. So uh, you guys are our SMEs. So I'm going to start off with, and Kieran, I want to set the scene. Two episodes ago, we had we had F the meta, fuck the meta. Uh, and that was about building armies that were about uh, fun and focus and uh, what, you know, enjoying your narrative and, you know, not worrying about what people think about your army, just running what you love. You know, Ash McEwen run the Devoted of Sigma. Luke Stone runs the, um, the Scourge Privateers. Uh, we have people who run Darkling Covens. We've got all these armies that aren't that good on the table, but these generals are either exceptional, uh, the, the, the army is exceptional, or they're doing what they love. This episode is the opposite. It's about how do you build a strong competitive list that is going to set yourself up for success. You're going to crush your enemies. You're going to uh, drive them before you. You're going to prepare the best you can with what you've got. Liam, are you okay? That sounds like we're just crushing kids' souls. <laughs> look, look, if you are competitive, you absolutely could crush people's souls if you want to go out there and, and run three Keepers of Secrets and make no friends. Uh, but, but competitive doesn't have to be, you know, winning no, no sports votes. It, 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 there's a spectrum, right? It's about getting the most out of your army. And there's some interesting questions about, you know, do I have to just run Slanish, for example, or... Um, we're picking it, we're picking on Slanish because they are the top tier. They've got a, 
a 60 or 80 percent win rate according to uh llv's um honest wargamer stats so they are a really good army um but just one of many yeah so let's set the scene are competitive and narrative armies mutually exclusive or can you have a narrative competitive list um i think no they're not mutually exclusive i think you can absolutely have both in the same kind of um spectrum i guess like um we were talking about phoenix guard earlier phoenix guard are amazing phoenix guard with a frost heart phoenix making them even tougher are even more amazing and that's narrative right there you know and having like elf support um for like cheaper battle line whether it's like say dread spears or um bleak swords dark shards range support um it's all elven themed and like that's something you can just build a narrative list out of just right there just season sigma and it's like yeah it, it um another example it would be say like uh change host hordes of horrors backed by a lot of change that's how a zench war host would fight and that's that's thematic that's i can't finish my sense no I, <laughs> but yeah, you get what i mean yeah 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 so like pretty much they can be like you can write a list where like it makes sense for that way that army is in the narrative and then it can still be competitive which is kind of cool yeah like mm. like i'm sure there's like four keeper of secrets chilling in a war host of Sunesh just messing people up so mm. but we yeah, you know like, we've seen examples like liam yourself you at kencon one or two years ago you ran that um that iron bark list and you're able to drive and you were able to drive a narrative within that and you 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 were trying to exploit some some broken rules you were yeah. you were cheeky with the skyhawks but there is a battle there is there is a story within that uh whether you're willing to ex admit it or not yeah look that list was pretty much to prove a point that you can like run like back then i was just proving a point that like sylvan f doesn't need to just be narrowed that was literally what I was doing. And, and I literally was like, what's another busted thing that I can do? 30 Sky, thirty Arcanal Company of Skyhooks and a Chemist is definitely something that I would do. And that's what I did. And I would, and I played that list for that weekend and it did well. But like, yeah, but like another like example was like, remember, I think it was like earlier this year, I ran Flesh Eater Court's Holomorn, which no one runs or looks at. Like not one person even looked at Holomorn. Everyone's like, Holomorn is like, useless it's just either gristle gore or blister skin and then dan brewer chris welfare and i well those two were talking about like what holomon did and i was like yeah that sounds great and oh, i ran that nine horror list at sydney slaughter and stuff and i went four and one um with a list with just like no striking first shenanigans nothing it was just 49 inch threat range horrors like that's what i was running and it was narrative because like the whole thing was based off like the horrors and stuff and everything. I was like, cool, let's do this. And I made a competitive list out of it. So it is, they can be mutually like neutral in the same thing. So yeah. They, 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 they don't have to, you don't have to. And, and I think this, this is a question that comes up with the listeners is that, you know, they, there's a concern that if you write a competitive list, you, you sacrifice the models that you love or you don't get to run the things that you really want to run because you're trying to bring this, you know, absolutely optimised list. And that's not necessarily true. You don't have to go down that route. You absolutely can if you want to. And if you look at things like the ETC, which is a, you know, the, a competitive event across the world, 
they ask you to play different armies. You may not get to play the army that you want to play because it's going to improve the competitiveness of the team. But it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's a spectrum. You you can be super crazy and, and just take the best of the best, or you can still form that narrative and, and get the most out of your, your battle tome. Is that a fair uh, call? I'd say so, yeah. It's... There's the thing with AOS as well is the narrative is so new and so malleable that you can basically do what you want and say it's thematic and you can point to a book and say, yeah, it lines up with what I've read and stuff like that. And you can build an army out of the models you like, the models you think are cool and it can be competitive. Like, I like Keeper of Secrets. They're cool. They're yeah. amazing. And I built an army out of them and yeah, it does well. And it's models I like. I don't like hordes of demonettes. I like all the heroes of Smash, and that's just a list archetype that happens to work. And um, just making what you want to work, like actually work, is rewarding. It's super rewarding. So how would how would we define a competitive list? So you know, a couple of episodes ago, we defined that narrative list, but how do we how do we define what a competitive list is? Do you want to take a look or do you want me to do it? You go. Okay. You go um, <laughs> so I would say a competitive list is, I guess, a list that's designed to perform well to the expectations you set. So your expectations could be, let's say, if you go into a tournament, it could be to put up a good fight in all of your games, not necessarily to go five from five. You're not too concerned about the results. You just want close games. Um, another person's definition of competitive might be, going three from five, like finishing in the upper bracket of the um, results. Another person's definition could be go five from five, win the tournament. Um, it, it depends on what you want, I guess, to just to get out of it, out of what you're building. So like um, my Sinesh, I aiming for them to do like a three or four out of five game like wins. That's what I'd aim for with them. That's what I want them like competitive wise. Whereas my Sylvan F, I play them a bit differently. I'm more like looking to just do decently in every game, not have a match where I just get absolutely stomped, you know? Yeah, and, and that's fair. Like my my goal, uh, you know, since I attended Masters and I thoroughly enjoyed the experience of, of becoming really competitive and getting to Masters and doing well at Masters with the free people allegiance of all, of all things back in 2017, I know that my goals have changed and it's been more about uh, winning more than I lose, so going three and two at a two-day event, uh, but making sure that you know my sports scores and I'm having fun, I'm getting to know people, um, they're always my goals. But, Liam, before we move on to the next question, I'd love to hear what you think about what is a competitive list. Um, so what I find as a competitive list is a list that can deal with most with much of your meta and also deal with any scenario that you get given. The biggest thing ever for me when running a competitive list is if it can tick a few boxes for me, if it can go up against any hero-based scenarios, any objective-holding scenarios, any auto-win scenarios, and any scenarios where it's about movement and trying to get to the other side as quick as possible, right? That is generally my checklist when it comes to, like, what is a competitive list and then also dealing, like, when it comes to scenarios. And then also, can it kill heroes that I need to kill? Can it do this when I need to get to here? Can I do this? Can I do this? If I can tick all those boxes, that is what I call a competitive list. If that makes sense. If and I can did, tick all those boxes, and then you, that is... How did you learn that you had to do X, Y, and Z? Play it. 
playing a crap ton of games. That is literally how I did it. Um, and also going to heaps of tournaments. Like 2017, I have to say, probably was the most I've ever been to tournaments. Like I was going like once or twice a month and I was constantly playing and I was learning very quickly what I need to have in my list. If that makes sense. And like I was playing Sylvaneff and I quite quickly learned that like, cool, I need heroes that can stay on objectives for the hero-based scenarios. Okay, cool. I need a unit that can hold on to like, I can hold back for knife to the heart and everything else move forward. I need this, I need that, I need this and that. And like learning all that. And then now when I was doing that, every time when I start a new army or a new project, I would always be like, okay, can I tick these boxes? And if I can't, then no, I can't. That's not a good list for me, if that makes sense. Like I literally got by that by literally playing crap ton of games, playing, and then also every time a new GHB comes out, the first thing I look at is all the scenarios to see how they hold and how they like do well. Um, for example, Durali the Death now is just this huge thing about battle line holding objectives. So like, yeah, I need a massive block of durable battle line units just so I can be like, cool, if that comes up in the scenario pack or gets drawn in, I got an answer to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or like, can I wipe out those like plague monks or can I do this, can I do that? And if I got all that sorted, I'm good to go. So, yeah. so, so, so just to, to summarize what I heard, it's about experience. So I think yep. it's it's fair to assume that if I've never played a game of Age of Sigmar, maybe I'm on my first 10 or 20 games and I attend my first tournament, it's probably very unlikely that I'm going to go 5-0 and o at a major tournament um, if I'm only learning my army. So expectations is absolutely key. Um, I'm hearing practice is important and and understanding those victory conditions, understanding that if uh, a, a tournament or even any of the general's handbook scenarios say that you've got to have more models or you've got to have a hero or an artifact or, you know, you uh, you win by claiming X amount of objectives by turn blah. Yeah. Thinking about can I get to this objective at the back? Um, yeah. Is my army fast enough? Do I have any teleporting? How would I how would I get there and, and and what would I need to do? And if I don't, how do I build that into my list or how do I handle that in a situation? Kieran, you're nodding. Mm. I, uh, I agree with ev everything. <laughs> so that obviously yeah. comes, comes with time. And then also that, that's the analytics behind looking at what makes up a game. But like the other thing I want to clarify is like when it comes to saying what is a competitive list, like, you could literally, let's just say we get like two different, let's get three different types of players. You got like your casual player, you got your tournament player, then you got like someone like in between, right? And if you, let's just say, let's show Kieran's list, right? And you show you like, this is my list. The casual player is going to probably not being like, oh, okay, that seems cool, right? They don't know exactly what the term competitive is, right? But then the other two probably be like, that's a really competitive list because from their experience, they know that that list has all those things, that, like that toolbox, if that makes sense. Right. So, and then let's just, and then so like just there, the competitive list is also like how would your opponents like see? So, like, one huge thing that I do when I write lists is send it to my gaming group and be like, hey, what do you guys think? And you generally would either see the words fun, competitive, or what the hell were you thinking at 3 a.m.? So, like, that's the other thing with competitive lists. Like, you can't just be like, I wrote a competitive list. Like, you need outsource help in a way to be like, do you guys think this is competitive? And here, other like like other like pretty much getting feedback on like is this what it is and that's why we got like really cool tools like um the honest wargamer list thing that he does and also the grand alliance and also those facebook groups where you can be like hey 
like yeah. that's that's a huge thing with like when it comes to like running a competitive list is also seeing if other people be like i'm actually quite scared of that list all right you've ruled one of my questions which was which was oh. how, what are the resources that are available to you and um liam you've just summarized so the honest war gamer has um uh, people writing writing lists and, and explaining their lists you've got wonderful facebook groups and whatsapp groups where you can say hey this is what i've built what are your thoughts you know is, is it going to work the way i think it's going to work obviously your games club kieran anything else that you would call out uh, from a resource point of view that might help you get across the meta, get across the scenarios, get across your army list? I mean, yeah, Liam covered it pretty well. And, like, I, I tend to use the Grand Alliance. And um, I also just ask feedback off um, all the people I play against locally and um, all my friends and stuff. So, because they usually um, will go, like, I mean, because you play against them, they can tell you, hey, that seemed pretty strong. Or, hey, that seemed pretty weak. Maybe you should change that. Yeah. Yep. Ask, asking for feedback after a game. Uh, Gary, Gary, or goddamn Gary, uh, says sliding into my DM. So if you know a competitive gamer, you've got a friend in the games club or on Twitter or in the local community, or, hey, you see someone perform really well at a tournament, you might want to ask them for feedback or, you know, um, get their insights on, on the way their army worked. Uh, I know I was really interested in how Tom Tom Worsley won uh, Blood and Glory with a very interesting Hello Heart list that probably wouldn't be the one I would like to run, but you know definitely wanted to learn the mechanics. So um, yeah. they're constant learning. Um, yeah, I would say things like there are a whole bunch of people who are out there on YouTube on 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 podcasts who are talking about battle tones, whether it's uh, you know you're worried about Slanesh and how it works, or you're worried about you know I don't know Deepkin. You know, channel, channels like myself, like Face Hammer, like there's so many people who have done battle time reviews to get across opponents' armies. Yeah, like there's there's quite a lot, and there's a few people like on Twitter and stuff that are just so happy to get sent messages. Like I get sent messages like every third or four, like three or four days. I check my other box, and I get random people from the Silver F group being like, "Hey, fix my list." I'm like, "Okay, cool." You're just so popular. So, I'm just killing it, man. I should stop charging. Um, nah. But yeah, like that's just like there's just some resources. Like there are people out there who are so happy to help, which is cool. All right. But um, so when you build, yeah, go for it. I was about to ask the next question, but it's all good. No, you're, you're the guest now. You, you, you okay. you're, 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 you're filling in for Mick. Um, okay, cool. So do you guys have a rough guide on if if I've got a two thousand points or one thousand points or whatever the 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 game that I'm playing, you know, two thousand is the traditional, most common uh, pool of points. Um, do you have a rough guide or how you would spread those points out across, you know, your battle line, your heroes, your behemoth, your spells? Do you have some rough thinking or some guidance around how I best spell my points, spend my points? Um, I would say it. That question's always going to really depend on what army you're playing. Um, so, like, Slanesh, for example, because um, I've been playing re them recently, um, they tend to want to go extremely heavy on heroes, like, max out as many points as possible on your heroes and not go too heavily in your battle line because your heroes are kind of what carry the day for you. That's what all the summoning mechanics are based around and so on, um, where most of your hitting power comes from. Uh, the... Battle line, you kind of looking at this on a Not so much as attacks, but more as screens, objective holders. And on the flip side, say um, for Ossiak Bone Reapers, the new guys on the block, um, 
I look at them and I go like, they're probably, you don't want to invest over much in the heroes. You probably want to go say, and I'd say this is probably what most armies typically would do. You'd want somewhere between like say 400, 700 points in heroes, um, just to kind of fill whatever roles you need doing, whether it's like casting, um, various unit synergies. Uh, battle line, if you've got really good battle line, like Mortec Guard, for example, um, going heavy into them is pretty good. And other stuff like um, Kernoff Hunters, say for Sylvaneth, uh, Immortus Guard, Mortec Crawlers, like depending what army you're playing, the support elements, your big hitters. Um, it it, it kind of depends. Uh, do you need more bodies in your list? Um, or do you need more hitting power? And yeah, like it, it comes down to what faction you're playing ultimately. Because it can it can vary so much. Yeah, and like you look at a Daughters of Cain list, you've got lots and lots and lots of mm. bodies traditionally. When you've got a couple of support heroes, on the flip side, you look at I don't know, I don't know Deepkin, and you know the most competitive builds right now are uh, very small allocation of points into their battle line, and most of them into their eels, which is that elite, not battle line kind of um, hard hitting unit. So, uh, Liam, your thoughts on this one? Uh, so pretty much I call heroes, battle line, and other top, middle, heavy, uh, bottom. So every time when I get receiver list or whatever, I just go like, oh, it's a bit too top heavy, a bit middle heavy, a bit bottom heavy. The way I distribute it is actually, again, what Kieran said, which is different armies have different reasons for having those lists. So let's have a look quickly at like a Nurgle list, for example. Nurgle has like your great unclean ones. Like let's look at a typical thrice fold. Super top heavy because all your points are going to go into that and that's what you want. And then you just go min-max battle line or whatever and then just add in the bodies and stuff there. Like, that's what I call, like, a really balanced worth of points. Because even though points-wise, you're probably way over the 1,000 points in heroes and stuff because, like, that's what you want to do with, like, the three great unclean ones and stuff. And then, like, you just go call min and man max right? And that's, that's like, what you want to do because that's what the army, the way you want to play it, if that makes sense. So distribution can be whatever you feel like your flavor is for the month. Um, another good example would be my Sylvaneth list, which is actually quite bottom heavy, where I spam over, like, I think it's over a thousand points of Kern of Hunters. Like, that's, and two very different armies, two very different lists, and two very different playstyles. So it very much all depends. And actually, one of the armies, in my opinion, but actually is the most balanced from all three sections from both top, middle, bottom, is actually Doors of Cain. Daughter of Cain actually has an even distribution of points allocation to all three because you're spending points in heroes for your Slaughter Queens and your Hags and then also like either Marathi or a Medusae. Then you go heavy, pretty much you do like two blocks of 30 of your sisters or your witch elves and then like 10 for the other. And then you put in like snakes and harpies at the bottom and it's really balanced out. If that makes sense, because I, I would army, say Legion of the Gash are no different. You probably have Legion a of the Gash heroes, a block of yeah. skeletons, some you know elite Morgasts or some Grimmies or um, yeah, yeah. But those those two armies right there, they are really good all round armies. Like for example, Doors of Cain are really good at prayers and spells, and then like Legion of the Gash is really good at spell casting stuff. So like them at the top, that's a nice even distribution, and their units fulfill their role really well, like doing damage or holding objectives, like. That there is it. So pretty much the best way to describe it is the distribution or your stuff. It all really depends on the army that you play, and that and also your playstyle heaps. Like if you want to go full aggro, get all your hammer units down pat and just go min min max. Like that's how you want to do it. And then just again practice. But 
Like that's that's how I dispute it. It all depends. The first question is, what do I want to do for my playstyle? What army am I running? And like, how quickly do I want my games to go? And then that pretty much decides on your distribution of the things. Because like, and as I said before, you look at scenarios. So you do need to go a bit top heavy for heroes for those hero scenarios, like have backups. Yep. So, so if, you, if, you're, if your tournament pack has duality of death, it has some type of hero-based mission, you absolutely want something that can hold onto an objective for, for as long as it can. Yep. Um, like, and then also with Jolly Death now being battle line, you go, cool, I need a big block of something. So when I get to that objective, I can hold it for at least two or three turns while my other hero can hold it for another two or three turns so I have a fighting chance. So that there is pretty much like, like yeah, so like when it comes to all this stuff, when you're deciding top heavy list, look at your scenario pack or look at like what people are running mainly for scenarios and that definitely helps you deciding your distribution of your points. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to throw this actually transition nicely into one of our listener questions. So Buckets, uh, Bucket had asked, uh, what are the roles of, and you hear this a lot, you hear Hammer and Anvil, these two concepts. Um, yeah. Very, very Warhammer fantasy that's still carried over to this day, and I think it's a wargaming term in general. But, I, I say this uh, a lot. Cool. So if, if I've just heard this talk and Buckets have just said, what's that role of a Hammer and what's the role of an Anvil? And what's some examples of of each? Um, so, Kieran, do you want to give take the first crack at this? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so, hammer units are basically units designed just to kill, just to, I guess, wipe out as much stuff as humanly possible. Usually, they sacrifice on defense. So, a good example would be uh, feeds of, uh, <clears throat> me, fiends of Sinesh. Pretty damn hard hitting. Not that tough. If you can get them lined up, and this is what you generally want to do for Hammer, you, you want to set them up, get them attacking, like charging, fighting before your opponent gets to retaliate. Um, whereas an Anvil unit is the opposite. An Anvil unit generally wants to sit in an objective or sit in like um, a point where, like a funnel point, and basically force your opponent to go at them and not hit your Hammer. So um, Hammer and Anvil units work together. You have the Anvil protecting the Hammer. Or sometimes you have the hammer just running up ahead so the anvil can just chill. It, it so depends on what you're running, of course. So what, what's some other examples of, let's say, a hammer? So I think the first thing that comes to mind in my own army would be, let's say, a demigriff. Uh, the demigriff mm. is a hammer. Uh, I think of the Ideneth yeah. Deepkin with their eels. I would say an eels is a hammer. Mm. What, what, what's some other examples, boys, that of, of a hammer? So let's look at Nurgle. Right, so Nurgle, I love looking at Nurgle because Nurgle's a very good all-round army, in my opinion. But they have, let's just do this, right? Let's look at Plague Monks, right? Crappest save ever, but God, they hit hard. 40 Plague Monks hit like a truck. That is a hammer unit. Then we look at the other side, similar amount of bodies, right? Similar amount of bodies, a little bit more expensive. But then we look at Plague Bearers, right? 30 block of them, minus one to hit, five up after like feel no pain save, all that stuff. That there is an anvil. Same army, big horde units in a way, but they both have different roles completely and similar, like a different point cost, but like they have a very different role and they play so differently, but they're in the same army. Um, It's probably fair to say that all armies have a a type of hammer and anvil. I think of my, I I think of my gloom spite and I think of um, my, my my anvil you know, the guys that are just going to take a punch is that big block of 60 grots. 
but then yeah. you know something that's going to go out there and do some damage might be a mangler squeak it could be the boing grot bounders they're the guys that go the in there that do yeah fanatics are going to do damage um and and do as much damage as possible and then the guys uh, that that ham the anvil are going to hold up yeah um and then yeah. another unit that can like be uh anvil in a way could be a hero that you've buffed up in a way so let's look at the um vampire lord and zombie dragon with the theory amulet because let's be honest they all come with one nowadays they just come That's with it, it. They just come with it. That there is an anvil and also a hammer in a way, like in a way, but like it has to be a hammer on the charge. So like that there, you can just get stuck. If it fluffs, you go, cool. I've held you up there for a turn or two. I'm a three up save ignoring blah, blah, blah. Like that there is an anvil right there. And then like another hammer unit will probably be like, what's an anvil? What's a hammer unit for death nowadays? Uh, big block is scaly's buffed up. They, they hit hard. Kieran, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, say Grimgast Reapers, Bladegeist Revenants, like, just Mor a lot of Night Haunt stuff. Morgast, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, uh, Acropolis Stalkers. Another term that we use for hammers is glass cannons in a way as well. Because mm. so blood, blood letters are known as glass cannons, something that can can hit, but probably don't yeah. take punch as well as um, it can hit. Yeah, um, like that. There is a good example of blood letters. Actually, this, um, play, this actually might lead into a nice question that Darker Duarden has reached out and said, you know, how many points should you set aside between the hammer and the anvil in, let's say, a traditional tooth K? And I, and I think about the play style and I think about uh, you want to pack a punch, right? You want to go out there and punch your opponent on the tabletop, not literally. Please don't, please don't punch your opponent. Um, yeah. but, but you need to be able to take a punch as well. So I think of a perfect example. There's been a whole bunch of times where, uh, my opponent has done like a turn one charge. They've absolutely punched me in the face, and that's all they've got. If I can take that punch, that first turn punch, and I can hit them just as hard, then often that's that, that's their only strategy. They haven't put enough points in the the defensive side or the objective because they've oh, they put everything into the, uh, the 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 hammer. So, yeah. boys, thoughts on on point allocation between hammer and anvil? Karen, um, is there one? Uh. Uh, I, 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 it's another one that can be entirely dependent on what you're playing. Like, say, Slanesh, they don't really have anvils in a traditional sense. Everything in that army is super fragile, but um, they just have these extremely powerful hammers. So, And their anvil is one of their allegiance abilities that makes other units fight last. So they're basically just mitigating their weakness as a hammer. Whereas, say... Um, Say so for Caesar Sigma, um, if you're building a list around them because they're very balanced army, um, I would pro like points allocation. Like I'm looking at like 30 Phoenix guards, like 400 something points. I think. 420. And, and, and to be honest with you, this, this is exactly yeah. why I've added um, I've added um, a unit of Phoenix guards. So um, yeah. in the in the past before Cities of Sigma, my free guild guard were quite strong. They they were quite resilient. There's been some changes in the book recently, and they're not as resilient. And there's been a couple of times where a turn one charge has really knocked the wind out of my army. And that juicy center of wizards and endless spells and and, and um, support units, um, if they collapse that battle line, if they collapse that unit, then I've got no way to punch back. My punch is not nearly as hard. But if I can absorb that punch, that, that Phoenix Guard can absorb. Um, uh, skeletons are a great example. Your Grimgast Reapers are a great example. Your Daughters of Cain Hagnar is a great example. If you can take on that punch, then there's a good chance you can punch them back and really wrestle the game back uh, from a loss to a victory. 
Yeah, well, and that's the thing. So you were running for your guard. Like, you were, um, they're cheaper than Phoenix Guard. let you spend more in other places in your list. But as you found out, like, um, they're not necessarily what you need to hold up. So investing more in the Phoenix Guard has helped your list out, I would say. Would you agree? Uh, I'll find out this yeah. weekend. But but in theory, absolutely, because they can absorb. Because um, I have a lot of, I have a lot of damage that's coming out of my spellcasters. Uh, no surprise, mm. being a, a Hallow Heart army. But if I can't take that punch, if I can't take that Stormcast coming down from the sky or Nighthaunt coming from the Underworlds or, um, you know, a turn one charge from uh, from from Corn or from um, from Nurgle, then um, there's not a lot I can do or I'm going to be pinned in my backboard. So, um, um, yeah. Liam, anything you don't add to that? To be honest, though, to answer his question, it's the same answer as last time. It all depends on your army and your play style. Um, like... Let's look at Sylvaneth, for example. You would probably spend about over 600, 800 points on am- like on an anvil, like dryads and stuff, big blocks of them. And then you would probably spend the rest in hammers or support in a way. So like, it all really depends on it. Like, it and again, it depends on your playstyle. If you want to be super aggressive, then it might probably be like spend 800 points on hammers and then the rest on anvils. So like... Yeah, it all really depends on like what you want to do with that army, and just just ask yourself this question. Like, write this down if you have like a little book to write army lists and stuff, or like notes on your phone. Let you just go. Ask, the first question you ask yourself is, what do I want to play? How do I want to play it? How many turns do I want to play? And that there will probably give you a good idea, like what to like allocate points wise for your hammer and anvil. If that makes sense. If you want to play the long game, go hardcore on anvils, and then like hammers at the back line, ready to just finish stuff off because something really interesting about anvils is they are there to play the durable game and sometimes they just do bits of chip damage surprisingly as they go on like dryads for example neg one say neg one to hit and also plus one save with a block of 10 or more um and they're surprisingly really good in combat that's gross well grots will hold you up the nets are minus one to hit there's 60 bodies you know taking that down it's really hard Yep, and I'm taking that down, but like they're doing chip damage to that opponent. Just being like, yep, cool, you you're hitting me, but like I'm just gonna do chip damage, and then I'm gonna get this like hammer unit to clear up that mess, and then we'll just move forward. And like that's how the hammer and anvil works. Like the anvil holds there, and then the hammer goes, cool, let's finish this off. So yeah, it really depends on your playstyle and how you want to do it. So to answer his question, so yeah, yeah, and a lot of people in the chat are agreeing with you, Liam. So um. When it comes to building a list, and you know, I think you both are really good at this. Is you know, the to build a really good list, uh, and I could pick a list that was written last year or the year before, and just because it was good last year and I won a tournament last year doesn't mean it necessarily will win this year. And that comes down to the meta, that comes down to the changing of the meta and and what's going on in the competitive scene. So let me ask you guys, how important is the meta to your list building? And then the secondary question is how do you understand and prepare for the meta? Because for some people, they don't know what the meta is. They don't know how to anticipate the meta. Um, and for them to even plan that can be quite difficult. So how important is it? How do you understand it and prepare for it? Um, I, I, I guess I the meta is basically what's doing well in tournaments at the moment. So like say at the moment it's Skaven and Slanesh have the highest win rates, I think, of any army in the game currently. Like you're gonna see lots of Skaven and Slanesh lists at tournaments. So 
you can kind of define the matter as um, not ex- just them, but like uh, like those kinds of armies, armies that might be being built to counter them and so on and so forth. And um, it's inherently like it's both player and rules driven. So you get a good battle time with Slanesh, but um, you still need the players, good players playing it. Um, or um, they're not going to get that far with it. Because ultimately, player skill is the main thing. And um, basically, when, when I'm thinking of building a list, uh, I'm yeah, I'm literally just looking at okay. Uh, so for Sydney GT, I was like, well, Slanesh is pretty popular at the moment, so I want to build a list that counters Slanesh. And I thought I'll do an interesting kind of list that counters them through my own Slanesh list. That's basically just designed to kill other heroes, pin hordes in place, and um, I generally also just look at tournament results to kind of get a grip on what's going on and what's doing well, what I can expect to see. Yeah. I'm actually just yeah. going to bring Liam, keep talking. I just want to bring something up which might be helpful. Uh, so for me, when it comes to understanding the meta, okay, cool. Um, so something that I look for when it comes to meta and writing lists is seeing what um, pretty much similar to what you're about to bring up at the moment. So if we can, for anyone who's listening, we're currently looking at the Honest Wargamer stats at the moment. Now, this one here is really interesting because Stormcast has got a high percentage of meta, for example, but they're not got a great win rate, so it's not kind of like a threat at the moment. So when we're looking at meta, it's looking at the percentage of peop- of the armies turning up to events. And then when we're looking at the stats, from example, from the Honest Wargamer, which you can look up on the Honest Wargamer website, I'm sure Anthony will put down a link on it after this show, maybe. Um, sure, let's, let's say yes. Let's say yes. Anyways, um, what we see as well is a match win percentage. Now, the match win percentage is a huge thing because that's how the chances are of this army actually doing well, right? So if we're looking at Slanesh right now, it's 6.7% of the meta, which is quite high still. And then 67% win rate. So almost a 70% chance of winning, like, all their games, okay? Or, like, they're doing the most wins. Now, what I see in this is being, like, cool. So those, I look at whatever has the highest win rate and then also the highest meta percentage because that's what I'm going to see and also what I know is going to be doing well at the top tables, right? So I've, I would make sure that my list, again, can just tick those boxes. So for answer, Sinesh. Sinesh loves multi-wound heroes, right? So I'll make sure that I have at least some units that are one-wound hero just to waste their depravity system in a way, right? Like, that's something that I would have to, like, look out for because let's just say, let's look at eel spam, for example. If you're going hardcore eel spam and then you're going up against Sinesh, Sinesh is going to love you because your whole army is multi-wound. Can I just pause you for a second? I, I think we might Go have gotten it. a little bit too far down this rabbit hole. And I just want to, I just want to, yeah, really good discussion, but I just want to put this into a little bit of context. So according to the Honest Wargamer stats, and look, to be honest with you, uh, every every region, every uh, country's meta is different, um, and and it may not reflect. You may not have a local Slanish player. You may have more Stormcast players or more Corn players in your local meta. But according to the global meta, I just want to put the stats into context. Let's say Stormcast Eternal. So right now, their meta is about 10%, just under 10%. It's at 9.98%. So if I'm at a 100-player tournament, there is a strong likelihood, based on the average, that there is going to be 10 Stormcast players. Could be more, could be less, on average 10. So there's a really good likelihood that I'm going to play a Stormcast army. 
So if I'm thinking about how do I handle a Stormcast army, how do I beat them, how do I, um, you know, what, what would I do if I, I was matched up against a Stormcast army, that's super relevant. Yeah. But what Liam's saying right now about the Ideneth Deepkin, according to the stats, currently they've got a, a, a meta representation of 3.74. So, so just under 4%. So if I'm at a 100-player tournament, there's only going to be four players or less of these Deepkin players. If I'm at a 30-person yeah. tournament, then it might only be one or two. So the likelihood of having to worry about Legion of Grief, Caradron Overlords, uh, Bone Splitters, um, Fire Slayers, those numbers are low. Yeah. So as you're building the list, and boys, you correct me if I'm wrong, I, I should factor that in, but not necessarily be concerned about some of these lower no. representation. According the to ones. the representation, I, I definitely want to be concerned about Blades of Corn, Skaven, yeah. Stormcast Eternal, because they have a higher likelihood of of being matched up. So if I want yeah. to win five and zero or four and one, I need to have at least some ideas and some plans on how I would defeat a Skaven and a, and a Gloom Spike Kits or someone that's got a high representation. Yeah. So pretty much you look at like what the percentage is high as and then just work out a way to beat it. It makes sense. Like understand the mechanics and yeah. making sure you don't give it to them. So similar to like, what's the percentage wise of Sinesh? It's 7%. Uh, Slanesh, Slanesh is, uh, is just under 70%. So 67.3. So. Oh no, I mean meta wise, it's 7%. Oh, meta wise, there's, uh, it's just yeah. under 7%. Yeah, just under seven percent. So, like, if, again, hundred player event. There's going to be seven Sinesh players, um, and then like ten or so. So, pretty much, um, you look at that, you'd be like, "Cool, this is probably what I'm going to go up against." Um, and then the cool thing is, there's some really cool resources. Like, you got the free app to see what they do. You know, I mean, like, not their full allegiance ability, but like, there's other ways to find that um, through their battle times and like other online sources. And you write a list based on that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like that's the one thing that you look at when you're looking at the meta and then writing a list around it is to be like, if I can go up against blah, blah, blah armies and like not every army is going to be perfect to go up against everything. Like, I just want to make that clear. Like, there's no such thing as a perfect army when it comes to like being all rounder. Um, so, yeah, like the start show is really good, but like I wouldn't say it's like follow it to it. Like the stats are really good, but I wouldn't like hold it as a Bible. It's just a really helpful guide. If that makes yeah. sense. And I also think Agreed. it's worthwhile from an expectation point of view. If you're going to run Beasts of Chaos and you are going to go five and zero oh at Beasts of Chaos, according to the meta, they are they are winning at an average of forty percent. So on an average out of a five game tournament, it's two out of five. So either you've either got to be an exceptional player who has practiced and honed and found some amazing um, synergies and ways to win. You either need to lower that expectation. Or you need to find something else if you want to go five and zero. Oh. Maybe Beast of Chaos isn't for you right now. Um, the interesting thing, I, something similar to like what you were just saying about like Beast of Chaos and stuff, and armies like that. And I'm not thinking there ways, by the way. No, it's just, I, I'm just, just, yeah, I'm just saying like armies like that is you kind of also have an advantage because what is their um, what's Beast of Chaos at the moment? What's their uh, meta representation? It's two percent. Now, we just had something happen on Twitter where someone was talking about how they were winning games because they their opponents had no idea what their army did, right? We had that conversation on Twitter, and I said that's what we call gotcha lists. And sometimes you can play that in your advantage where, like, you do explain your army's rules, saying, like, this is what my army does. But, like, since you're at a lower meta percentage, not a lot of people are going to know what your army does. 
And that's kind of similar to like what we were talking about in our last episode about F the meta. So um, if you want to talk, if you want to know more about that, like with being competitive and stuff like that, you can kind of also listen to that as well, as well as this show to understand how to explain your army to like when your army is like underrepresented. So, yeah. That's just one of the many resources. I don't want to talk too, too much on this. Kieran, you're going to say something? I was just saying um, another thing to keep in mind is uh, if you can't be against an army you're unfamiliar with, um, your opponent will probably do their best to like explain what the units do and stuff, what battalion effects do. But you probably still, unless you've had practice against, you might still be unfamiliar with like the synergies and just how nasty they are in practice, which might lead you to underestimate what those armies are really capable of, like um, like basic chaos that uh, Chris Tot's Thunderscorn list, like. Mm, my god that list is nasty and you you don't expect it because who runs it i've only seen chris run it but it's it's scary and i underestimate when i played it against gt and it, it cost me big time so let me yeah. let me do a twofold question one that i wanted to ask was how do you know when you need to tweak your list or it's just not you um you just don't use the the the, the, the unit optimally uh, and then the secret life of us, so the unsecret life of us had also said, you know, how do you know when you've written, let's say, two lists? And, you know, how do you know which one to take? Like, you know, do you follow your gut feel? Or how do you, like, you know, you've written a couple of good variants and, like, oh, do I take this artifact or this artifact? Like, how do you how do you make that decision of which, which list to take? Um, it's hard to say, like, because it, it's, like with me, I kind of just, I play some games and I kind of analyze like, okay, um, did I do this wrong? Did I move this unit out of position where it got charged, it got killed before I could do anything? Okay, um, that's probably, that's on me. That's not on the unit. Um, did I get it into what I thought was a good situation? Like I charged into a uh, into something or my buffs were active and so on. Did it underperform to my expectations? Um, it's, it, yeah, it, you kind of just have to um, just try it out, but just really get a feel for it, I guess, because, uh, yeah, it, like... What, what, I, what, I, um, yeah, go on. No, no, you go, yeah. I was going to say, while you're thinking, I know uh, some it's a piece of advice they always give people is don't make too many big changes at once. If you're trying to test yeah. and trying to work out and isolate a problem, uh, just because your list didn't work very well in one particular time or you you failed to cast X amount of endless spells, it doesn't mean you gut it completely and start again. Sometimes it's just a simple thing. So one of my lists, like I've just literally replaced um, my free guild guard for Phoenix guard. Now, obviously, I've had to find a few more points um, to 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 interchange the the unit, but. I haven't completely gutted it to do that. And, you know, this weekend I'm going to, I'm going to see how well that one change went. And if it didn't go as well, I need to either reassess. Liam? Uh, so I'm going to talk about, like, my Sylvan of Heartwood list because it's a good example of, like, I wrote three different versions of this list. And I played so many games with those different lists. And I worked out quite quickly that I went from a list where I was really, I was so used to going into, let's just say this, let's talk about like drops, right? Like I took, I was so used to doing low drop armies. So I was like, okay, cool. Lowest drop army is clearly going to do well. And then I played a few games and I realized that it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. 
And then so I dropped like one of the battalions and I just added more stuff that I needed, like tree revs and an extra hero or something, like an extra support to that army that I could use. And then I started seeing bigger success just from like instantly realizing that like, okay, cool, this battalion's not working for me. It's not doing what I want it to do. I'm just gonna like drop this and add this. Little changes, as Anthony said, like don't make too many changes, but little changes. And then I looked at the two lists and I was like, yeah, this is clearly the better one because it has more tools. It's got the answers that I want it to. And again, it was ticking my checklist that I mentioned earlier this show. So um, that's, that is kind of like how I kind of decide being like, what are the two lists is just literally being like, is it got the list that I want? And also, is it answering the problems that I have when I'm coming up to playing? For example, Knife to the Heart, my army's really slow unless I'm teleporting, but now I can only teleport one unit um, for the woods. So I need an extra unit to like get over there as quick as I can. Trevor is my answer to that because I can go wherever I want. So The, the player's pack may dictate uh, which list is better in this particular yeah. scenario. It could be the meta um you know if you start noticing more and more people are bringing shooting at the moment or you've got more magic that's happening you know you might want to think about uh you know a perfect example is i noticed a few armies that uh, i was playing against at um at runax had no wizards so for me i got away with murder when it comes to spellcasting but on the flip side if you like crap there's a lot of magic going on right now maybe i need to take like um uh, an endless spell uh, that could help me in this situation, or maybe I ignore it completely. Um, you know, there's some things you you know might go, oh, how do I handle this, or what would I do in this situation? Um, I don't think there's yeah. a silver on this. Move on. Kieran, you gonna say something else? No. Um. Eh. All right. That's like you got that cool. one covered. Um, cool. So we've talked about list tweaking. Um, we're very close to our listener questions, which kind of cover and very thematic around it kind of continues this conversation. Um, once you've written a list, do you just take it to a tournament or what do you guys do? So you've written a list. We've got an event coming up soon. What do you do? Liam shaking his head furiously. I want to know what Kieran does first and then I want to find out what you guys are doing with that list. I play test the hell out of it. Um, I, Theory only holds up so well, but I mean, like, it, it, it doesn't last. Like, the, the theory only gets you so far. You need to put things into practice, like, um, oh. I'll, I'll give you a perfect a good example. example. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a perfect yeah. example. So I played uh, Wes Graham at uh, Brizhammer a few months ago, and uh, something that I did, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, getting those back objectives that are really hard. Um, you know, and I think it was Knife to the Heart. So I'm playing Wes with Knife to the Heart and I'm playing my Gloomspite Gits and I'm like, I'm going to do Hand of hand of Gork. I'm going to teleport a unit of Grots. I'm going to have a unit of Fanatics hiding in that unit of Grots. Now I have to be nine inches away from my opponent and um, and my Grots pop out within three. So that's a, that's, that's a six-inch charge. I did that three times and I failed. I failed twice out of three. Statistically, a, uh, a a six inch charge on two d six is something like fifty five or or forty five. It's somewhere in that you know fifty percent bracket. It took me three goes to do that. So if I think about uh, in theory, in theory I should have got a turn one charge. And if I didn't do turn one charge, I should have got a turn two charge. Didn't happen. So theory doesn't always work, and the dice are not always favourable. Um, 
So that's just one of many examples. Just because in theory, um, uh, skeletons with with spears do more damage than swords, doesn't always mean that you're going to be two, within two inch range of all of your units uh, or all your models in a into an enemy. It doesn't always happen like yeah. that. Um, I guess I'll, I'll use one of my uh, tournament experiences. Um, so I, um, I was at Sydney Slaughter. I was playing Doors of Cain and. Um, I basically went mass over um, finesse. I had no Kenarai. I had a giant unit of 20 snakes. And it. I was like, oh, in theory, I'll just bulldoze everything. I don't need anything super fast because Lich Elves just slaughter pretty fast as they are. Uh, then it came to game five, and, man, I felt the lack of those harpies. It was a mission where basically your whole army deploys in one corner, and two of the objectives are on the complete other side of the board. And it was a nightmare just trying to have it, like, thinking, I have to split up my army, I have to split up these big combat units that rely on being close to my heroes for buffs. Sending one, basically, to die, get these points, and then they don't get there in time, I didn't get enough points, cost me the game. Whereas if I had harpies, would have completely solved the problem. Yeah. 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 Um... So for me, I practiced the practiced crap out of it. Um, so we said practice a lot. Yep. So practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice. I'm going to tell you that one of the best players in Australia, uh, he used to do heaps of Theory Hammer. Um, and he quickly learned that Theory Hammer is not a thing. And we gave him the piss out of it, being like, you need to practice and understand that it doesn't work like that. And he now practices his list. So every time he writes a list, he now practices it. And then again, he's just tweaking it as he goes, goes, cool, need the answer, need the answer. And now, now he's like, when, before the event, he goes, cool, this is my list. I know what it does. I can go. And he's just like more confident. And another thing as well is when you're writing a list, don't take it straight to the event because the chances are you're probably going to get called out for slow playing because you don't know what your list does. Like yeah. if you just wrote this list, you go, cool, this is all going to work in theory, turn up to a two day event. There's going to be so many people angry at you because you you're taking your sweet time working out what you want to do. So like, um, that's just one thing as well. Like when you're practicing a list, you're tweaking it, but then also you're learning quite quickly what you can and can't do with that list. And that's really important to know what your limit is with that list. So yeah, that's pretty much, that's just like, yeah, as I've been saying this whole show, it's just like practice and understanding it. And you will get good quite quickly when you've written that list, you honed it. And then you make it the list your own in a way. And the cool thing is, as well, is like you could easily just take a list that looks cool on the internet, but you have no idea what it does because it's not your list. So, yeah. Uh, sp yeah. Speaking of speeding yeah. up the games as well, I just want to shout out uh, AOS Reminders, who uh, awesome, awesome uh, free website that you can uh, get all of your rules by phase. Uh, you build up the army, you can import it from War Scroll Builder. So if you're worried about slow play, if you're looking at how I can speed up my game and make sure I get all my rules and do really well, this is a great way to uh, get across everything. So uh, go check out AOS Reminders, which actually is a nice reminder for myself to say that um, as of tonight, I have a feedback survey that's going to be open for the next 30 days. I'm very curious for people's feedback, what's good, bad, different, what you'd like to see from this channel. So uh, in the channel description, I have a Google form. It's completely optional. Every question is optional. And at the end of next month or mid next month, I'm actually going to give people, um, people who give me constructive feedback a prize. So I'm going to give away some subscriptions to AOS Reminders, as well as some uh, Games Workshop vouchers in your country. So 
do check out the channel description. Go check out and complete the survey. I appreciate your honest feedback. Um, and AOS Reminders is one of the many prizes that I'll be giving away. So do check that out in the episode description or in the podcast description. Listener questions. Liam, you going to say something before I move to listener questions? Nothing. Just one other thing quickly when it comes to writing a listen and taking it out. Um, really cool thing to add in as well is writing notes down, like what you didn't do well in that game. Um, sometimes I take like the Age of Sigma like battle journal and I just write down like what went wrong and like what thing and then I'd be like cool look back at it and then just tweak my list from it being like oh like my dryads didn't last as long as I hoped and was it a block of 20 oh okay cool I need to make a 30 man unit like stuff like that yeah that makes sense so you just go cool just writing that because sometimes like after you just done like a pretty long game or whatever it takes quite a while so yeah yeah a few things that I would call out and Dan Brewer is definitely a beautiful a beauty um from tim king tristan a few other things i would say is socialize that list to your your friends and your colleagues on twitter on facebook wherever your community may lay go hey this is the list that i want to run to an event what are your thoughts what could i do better uh, is there something that i'm missing that you think i should consider um you can go to these facebook groups you can look at other people's lists and see how they've built it out um, ask your opponent for feedback. Say, hey, Liam, we just had a game. Anything I could do different? Anything that, um, you know, should I have given that priority to, away or should I have taken it? Or do you think there's something here that uh, didn't quite work um, that I, I should think about in the future? Um, constant feedback because it's not often the list. Um, you can build a really good list, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the games. It's often those in-game decisions over the last two to three hours that will make or break your performance. So yeah. uh, list building is just one of those many, many things. Your decision-making happens from practice. It's about thinking about situations, whether it's winning the scenario, whether it's handling a certain uh, enemy. But practice, 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 build a strong list, learn it. And and, 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 there, and there's something within it too of, of playing the long game, which is... Um, practicing over time and sticking with something and that's why at least in australia you do see people who hold on to armies for at, on an average on a 12-month basis so they'll start a new army for cancon they'll run that up until the next cancon and they often start you know they hold on to their armies for quite a long time um so yeah cool <laughs> um cool listener questions let's do this there's so many and Joel Graham's like host this on Twitch. Well, maybe, 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 maybe we'll take over Twitch. I'm only just building out on Facebook. So um, always curious for feedback. Well, let's do some rapid fire listener questions. Let's not dwell too much because there's a lot of these questions. So I'd love rapid fire answers on this. So Chris Hallett says, uh, how do you balance following meta lists? So what everyone's taking, it's good. And then finding that next big thing. So, you know, do you go full experimental when you try to find these meta breaking lists? Or are you slowly tweaking or, you know, do you just make this big shift to a, a, an army that people aren't expecting? So how do you find that balance between playing the meta and getting ahead of the meta? I, I would say the way I approach it is I, I, I do shamelessly look at what's good and um, I'll kind of take the gem, like the gem of that idea, I guess, and kind of build around. So like, Oh, 60 Grimgast is really good. Um, I'll put my own spin on it, which is Coven for a Narc in the Black. And, like, um, just synergies and stuff with them that you wouldn't normally see with the Grimgast list. That's that's kind of how I approach it. So my own spin on a meta list, basically. 
Yep. So, you, so you, you're you're not too worried about getting ahead of the meta, but you're looking at making a meta army or list your own. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Like, yeah. That, that's like, all. Uh, no, it's just like for me, like for example, when I was running, let's say daughters, daughters of Cain, I kind of did something similar where I like just tweaked it in my own way. Like, not a lot of people were looking at snakes for a while. Like, there was just it was just like witches spam and stuff even though it was clearly the best option but like you just go yeah that's cool but i'm also going to add in this kind of thing like you just make it your own and then i kid you not like three or four months later people started taking blood sisters out of nowhere like there was just this on like everyone's like let's do 20 blood sisters i'm like okay cool this is a thing now um and then like one thing about kieran's thing as well is like i haven't seen the coven phone at all till then he played it and i kid you not i went to cancon and i saw so many goddamn coven phones so like there was clearly something that was there, but um yeah it's just kind of like you just find things, you just go like you just experiment as similar to, to like what Kieran said just kind of like coming through no one really was looking at but experimenting it works so, like a charm. So I probably got a really good example. So uh, at the height of Legions of Nagash, I was running uh, Legion of Night, which is the Manfred based um I guess allegiance within Legion of Nagash. Um, while everyone was playing with Neferata and Arcan and Nagash, I was playing with Manfred. And I know Liam is a big fan of Manfred. I'm going to meet you right now. But um, I was playing. I was playing something that was the meta, which was running, um, uh, r- running, you know, skeletons with you know double pile-ins and all that good stuff. But at the same time, doing my own spin, but also playing the movement game, which potentially Legions didn't have at the time. So, um, so I think there's a way to get ahead. Um, do you go? try to get completely ahead probably maybe maybe not but certainly you want to think about well right now if you've, if you've got slanish as a problem you've got a lot of things that are you know double piling in um terrorgeist you know you want to start building in shooting or if you're noticing there's a lot of magic happening you probably or go trek is ruining your your fun you need to find ways to get ahead of that uh because as more and more people take on go trek maybe um that's it's one many random examples but um Getting ahead is is a good thing, but also not getting too ahead. Um, like the yeah, good thing that you said is don't go too ahead because if you go way too ahead, right, it's probably not good. Like you're probably not going to compete well in the meta if you're going way too ahead off the meta. If that makes sense, and then you probably don't want to touch those units or whatever that you're experimenting till then they actually become useful because you have that experience of being like they weren't good back then, so why would I use them now? Yeah. So um, you. Don't want to go two steps ahead, but always thinking of a way for an answer. It's kind of like the meta is like asking a question and like you figure out an answer to it. Yeah. So, What's yeah. strong? Yeah. How do I how do I handle it? What what would I do in this position when it comes to you know Hagnar eels? You know, can I handle a, a, a deep striking eel? And then what do I do in that position? Uh, yeah. John Hammond yeah. asked, uh, what what about the balance of a good list taking models you like instead of what's good on paper? Do you guys do that? Do you guys find a model that you absolutely love, or you know, it's just Manfred is right now. I've just said that Manfred is probably at the time the most expensive Mortark and probably the least value of the three. I think Arcan and Neferata do some amazing things. I love Manfred because they have a better Mortarks, but yeah. No, you look at the rules in there. There is something Great. within Manfred, but you can build around it. But your expectations need to be clear. Aaron. Um, um, I, I will generally like, okay, Sylvaneth, Alariel. I'm almost always going to take Alariel to a tournament. I, I don't care what her role is going to be like. I love that model. I will always take it. Um, I, I do 
tend to try and take what's good. Like, um, say, Grimgast are not my favourite Nighthawk model. I much prefer Bladegeist Revenants, but um, for a Legions list, obviously, well, Bladegeist weren't in Legions at the time, but um, I was just like, well, Grimgast are better. I only like them a little bit less than Blade Guys visually. I'll stick with them. But then I, I have centerpiece models that I like. So I love the Arkan model. I love the Cumber Throne. Those are kind of what um, give me something to kind of latch onto and like be like, yeah, I'm running what I like. I'm making some sacrifice, but I'm generally running what I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. Liam, I know you've been a Durthu fan since day one and you've run Durthu, whether he's strong or not. He's always strong. I have no idea what you're on about. Um, nah, so like, for example, actually, a really good example is I go by this rule of cool. I've been saying this since ever I started doing this hobby again about three or so years ago. I just go by rule of cool. And as one of the questions is, sometimes my rule of cool means something really, really good on paper. But um, I go by rule of cool, so I make sure that every time when I'm running a list, there are models there that I like. Straight up. Like, I straight up like the models. Um like, for example, my Doors of Cain, I actually really like the model range. It was really cool. And I love the cauldrons and stuff, and I loved Marathi. So I made sure that they were in my army. Durthu, I love him. He's in my army, straight up. Tree Revs, I always love that kit, have it in my army. And then with Flesh Eater Courts, I love the Terrorgeist model. I think it's the most awesome undead model, in my opinion. It's an awesome centerpiece model, the way it's posed and everything. That's why I have three of them. Um, so, yeah, like... I just always make sure that like whatever I really like it's in there and I have either multiple of them or like as much when I go, cool, this is the army that I want to deploy. Let's do this. And then, yeah, that's how I do it. I just, yeah. Like when it comes by paper and stuff, like for example, um, what I was one army that I, I, said, I said fast answers by the way. Yeah. But like, I'm just thinking like there's a couple of times where I have never gone off by paper. So I go by rule of cool. Yeah, I think Rule of Cool is great. I think from a competitive point of view, you may not want to run Rule of Cool, uh, depending on what what is cool. Um, but there's always a way of working around it. Um, so something to think about. Um, Tim's uh, question's good. What's that? Tim's Tim, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I put the I put the questions. Uh, so Tim Tim Barclay has asked and and said very very clear. The Aussie Wargamer uh, has said I don't care about winning and prefer to build a list based on the models that I like to convert and paint. Having said that, I would love to be able to give my opponent a decent game. Any advice on building a hobbyist list that may not win uh, but can provide a decent game on the opponent? And this really comes back to our definition of competitive. Competitive doesn't need to mean five and zero. Oh, Competitive doesn't mean crush your opponent in turn one. Competitive could just be a 50-50 chance of winning or having a good game over the duration of the two to three hours. So any advice you'd give to Tim who wants to have a very hobbyist view on competitive list building, but it's more, less about the win, it's more about having a great game. I guess um, try and, like, working within what you want to take, just try and, as Liam said earlier, like, tick those boxes to try and win mission, the different missions and like do you have the bodies to um contest objectives do you have mobility to get the far away objectives do you have your hammers and anvils um and especially focus on like say if you want to run darkling coven theme caesar sigma um focus on the synergies they have which usually revolves around their sorceresses um and kind of go from there and 
yeah, look at um, what's available to you. So, like, sh- like say you compare Black Guard, Phoenix Guard. Okay, everyone will tell you Phoenix Guard are better, but Black Guard is still a good unit. You can still make them work. You just focus on okay, how do I use them differently? Okay, I might not have them sitting there expecting okay, a keeper of secrets can charge it and they'll be fine. Phoenix Guard would be fine. Black Guard maybe not. So maybe you know screen them. Whereas Phoenix Guard, you would like you play with them differently. Look at um how you're approaching your game plan differently and so on and so forth. Good question. Uh, yeah. Liam, what you said. Yeah. Cool. So what, while we're talking, Liam, Clint from the Heralds of War has said, Liam, why do you always pick uh, the models in armies that turn out to be busted? Really quickly, why you, why you a cheese monger? I don't do it on purpose, but I'm owning it now. Like, It has good yeah. taste. What's wrong right. with that? All right, yeah, so that's my answer. The villain, the, vil- the villain to the cheese merchant. So uh, to get photography, Liam is making cheese. And uh, what, what's what's the latest cheese, Liam? What should we expect from the uh, the Bone Reapers? Hot take. More, more tech guard spam is a thing with a harvester surrounded them. That's cool. the most, That's that's literally going to give you a negative play experience straight up. All right, we'll talk about that more in two weeks when we do faction focus on uh, the Bone Reapers. Uh, War yeah. Soren has asked a whole bunch of questions. The first one, he said, when list when when building a list, uh, what are the jobs that you want your units to be able to perform, um, and how do you strike the balance between them? So, um, it's kind of on the uh, the hammer and anvil, but it's more, but but it's also about uh, uh, securing objectives and you know uh, positioning a, a power projection and things like that. Do you? Is this a little bit different to Hammer, Hammer and Anvil, or do you think it's very much the Hammer and Anvil story? Because securing objectives doesn't necessarily have to be an Anvil ability. Well, yeah, I was going to say, um, Slanesh, Slanesh's way of capturing objectives is often you left that objective um, empty because you think, oh, I can't get to it. Well, okay, I'm going to change summon a bunch of heroes and summon demonettes onto it and what are you going to do about it? Yeah, if you didn't block it properly. Like, there's different approaches with the different armies. Like, um, I just lost my train of thought. You take it away, Liam. My answer to this question is, it's honestly not really like your list. It's more your play style. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I always do, so let's just go by, like, the basic, I'm trying to make this quick as well, is most objectives are held with more models within six, right? So you pretty much zone your opponent out, but even if they charge you, you're still holding the objective and they're out of six. That is objective securing. And then you've got your anvil unit there making it a bitch. But even if they kill that anvil unit, they're still not getting that objective and they just wasted two or three turns killing that anvil. Like that is called objective securing and that is called practicing your game so much that you know how to secure that objective with an anvil unit and denying your opponent from that, even though they kill that anvil unit. That is called objective securing. It's a decision making. The importance of screens as well. Yeah, like, let's let's say this word one more time. Practice your Kieran, games. Kieran, Kieran, really quickly, what is screening for the purpose of people who may not know what that term is? All right, so screening generally refers to, okay, um, let's say I've got uh, a unit of handgunners for Caesar Sigma. Um, they don't want to get into combat. You know, they're really fragile. They'll die super quickly. I think they lose a lot of their combat buffs if units are within franchise as well. I uh, love the shooting boss, I should say. So what you want, you want to pre- you want to stop your opponent from getting anywhere near them. So ideally, you have a unit in front of them or like around them, depending on if you're playing at Stormcast Night or you can teleport. Usually, you want that unit to be cheap because they can absorb your opponent's hand blow. They're not intended to survive; they're just intended to die by 
your units a tail more by just dying for the cause, essentially. Yep. Or, but also um, blocking movement is a big one. Yeah. So, so Dan Brewer, for example, is is notorious for for, for the uh, the two point nine tag, which is you know being able to tie up opponents uh, with with models that maybe they didn't want to go on. Like, what are you gonna say? It's the most painful experience ever to play against. It's but, ruins but, your day. But it's tagging. It's making sure that your opponents don't get the opportunity to do what they want to do, which is maybe some units get charge benefits, or they can have yeah. you know, they they move around the board where you don't want them to move, so you pin them in. And uh, I, I, for example, in Legions of Nagash, I would use the Dire Wolves as a, as a great uh, way to do that. It's a 60-point expendable unit. It can be regenerated from a grave site. It's got a high movement. It's it's very, very cheap, very fast, and it can get in secure objectives really quickly. It could tag opponents, um, and they're not there to to uh, win the game, but they're definitely there to to cause havoc on the board. Pistoliers in Cities of Sigmar is another good example. Um, that yeah. are played the role Most, of Emigriff. Yeah, just any unit, like, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's just to make your, like, opponent's time hard, really, is generally it, which is good. And units like that are really good, like, direwolves and stuff, because they're so hard to shift, especially yeah. in, like, a block of 15 or so. But, yeah. Jonathan Ensor's asked, um, when you open up War Scroll Builder or you pull out the OG uh, paper and pen, what's the first thing you do when you make a competitive list? Set it to 2,000 oh, points. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah. The yeah. amount of times I actually write it down to 1,000 something, I'm like, yep, delete. Um, like, I start with my battle line. I, 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 I'll start. I'll say I'll put in my three battle line. Um, to start securing the points at a minimum. I'm my thing is I write I think to myself, what do I want this army to do and what do I want it to be based around? So let's go with let's just say that some of these books now, you have to every time you take a certain thing, you have to take an artifact, for example, right? So you go, cool, I'm gonna add in that hero that's gonna get that trait and artifact. Then I'll add in my battle line. Like you fulfill the requirements, if that makes sense. Like I kind of go like this, like, let's say you want to run a particular battalion, you put that battalion in, then you fulfill the requirements, and then you go ham for everything else. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Kieran, mm. what's yours? Uh, much the same as Liam's. I guess I, I tend to sort out what heroes I want to run um, yeah. first, because they tend to define how the rest of your army is going to work, because they're the ones doing the synergies and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to say that because I do the other way around. I look at my battle line and then mm. look at what will synergize my battle line. And then if I'm not happy with those synergies, I'll then swap out that battle line choice to find something that's more optimistic for me. Mm. See, I just I just pick like my general, my artifacts and my heroes kind of thing because I know that's how it's going to work. Like I kind of go... But if you were like, starting a brand new army or if you're someone who doesn't know their army as well as you, let's say you're picking up Cities of Sigma, right? You just don't, you don't do what mm. you just said. Yeah, I do. I add in as many, like, um, dreadlords and sorcerers as I did. You did your hero with an artifact at the very start. You did not do that. Yeah, I did. I wanted wanted a dreadlord, and so I can have the um, ethereal amulet on it, and then I just went five four hydras. Right, right. Kieran Kieran likes that list. Five four hydras. It's a thing. I'm going to make it a thing. You're you're, you're, you're two steps ahead of it. Matt Davis asks, how do you read uh, synergies in a book? You read. (laughs) 
Kieran, so, did you hear what he, he said? Cut out a bit. Oh, I'm going to mute. No, I didn't. I'm, I'm muting Liam. Um, so, Kieran, uh, how do you how do you read the synergies in a book? Um, so usually your synergies come from your heroes. So free guild, um, big example. Um, oh, poor Liam copied it. Uh, the free guild general. He, oh, okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so like. Um, all your range units tend to get buffed by the free guild general on foot. Like his command ability buffs specifically units that are sitting still. So that rewards your range units or like your, I think your like your linesmen that want to sit still, your holding anvil units. Whereas say the free guild general on the griffin, uh, his buffs are oriented, like I think it's like reroll charge odds plus on the hit. Um, they're more suited towards your cavalry, like your demogriff knights, your empire knights. So uh, first things first, I look at the heroes. I look at, what their command abilities affect, um, and I go from there. Like, s sometimes the synergies are very generic. Like, I keep using the example Sinesh because they're just what I'm playing at the moment. Um, Keeper of Secrets, he lets you, or she lets you double pile in, um, which, that, that's, that's your synergy, essentially. Um, you're effectively doubling the output of your unit, and that's a linchpin that, kind of works universally across the whole army, whereas, yeah, for Cities of Sigma, they're more specific. Yeah, I mean, perfect example for Cities of Sigma, my, if I look at my army, right, I've got the Hurricana, which adds plus one to hit um, for Cities mm. units. My Free Guild General adds plus one to hit, plus one to wound with its command ability, hold the line. So all of a sudden, my handgunners go from hitting on fours, wounding on threes, to uh, hitting on twos, wounding on twos. Um, if I apply a, uh, a command, another command point, re-rolling ones, if I got neg to hit, I can find other ways to increase that, that, that rule. Um, if I actually, if they don't, they don't move, um, they get plus one to hit. So all of a sudden I can find ways to make that stat go from a four to four and three down to a, a three or a two or even a one. Um, should I come up against, you know, something that causes a neg one to hit or wound. Um, so you can find these little synergies, same thing, um, I could take a Sorceress or I could take a Free Guild or a, a Collegiate Arcane Battle Mage, which gets plus one from the Hurricane. So I can choose and, and work out, well, what the Sorcerer does this but doesn't get this benefit, but the Battle Mage gets this and can take advantage. So what's the trade-off and what gets me more bang for buck? Mm. Liam, you're unmuted. Anything you'd want to add to that? I don't look at Heroes first. I look at my Allegiance ability for my Synergy. So, like, if I'm looking at any army, I read its allegiance ability to see what it actually does. Um, for example, Sylvaneth, cool, it's all about teleporting and all this stuff. Um, with Flesh Eater Cords, cool, it's all based about being near to heroes and feast day, so I need to know that my heroes can be survival to get that ability down pat. Same with Doors of Cain, I'm like, cool, so it's a six-up fanatical faith thing, but then there's ways to buff it up. And, like, also my prayers, I read the spell law, I read all that first before I even get to the War Scrolls, straight up. I read all that. And then I go, cool, now let's dive into some War Scrolls and see what I can do with this as well. And then that there, like, like when you're setting up your army, your brand new army, you get your pretty new shiny book, you unwrap it. First thing you read is your Legion's ability to understand how that army actually works as a basis point. Like, that's literally your foundation for your house. And then your heroes are like your walls, and then everything else is to build it up into a roof, into a nice living home, and they're going to massacre your opponent's army. Like, that is what I do. So, yeah. Cool. Namaste. And, and look, to be honest with you, some armies are, uh, I'm obviously speaking on behalf of cities where that is not that easy. 
Uh, and some armies are a lot simpler with their allegiance abilities. I think of Deepkin, I think about the Tide and how easy it is to build around the Tide as opposed to yep. some more complex armies. You know, I look at the the um, not the more tribes, the war clans, or war clans. You know, do I go big wag, do I go iron jaws? Well, the two the two allegiances are very different. And I need to start, I need to think of a theme or a way I want to use or build uh, an army. Well, so that's, that's see, I think that's cool that it's harder for that. Like it's so much more rewarding when no, you work it the, out. But some of the the choices aren't as simple as you're dictating. So some sometimes oh. yes, absolutely, allegiance steers the buffs. Uh, but sometimes you've got to have a rough idea to build around it to exploit or take advantage of what you have. And yeah, cities, like, are a perfect example, cities you you can't start with anything because You've got some very, very basic stuff, but it all see, comes I, in its other legions. See, I find that, like, when I look at the cities book, the first thing I read was the different cities because that's definitely the allegiance ability is, so, like, what you can run. No, the allegiance ability is the first stuff, which is, no, the the, the city is the sub-allegiance. Like, it's like it's the null root versus the, oh, yeah, uh, okay, cool. the winter leaf kind of stuff. So it's that, long, long, long story short, I think we, we all agree. It's just some, some are easier than others. Some are easier than others, yeah. Like, I... You say Deacon's actually the easiest one to understand the synergy, but when I first picked out that book, I was like, what the hell is half this crap saying? So, yeah. Like, I thought it was like, it's all different language to me. But, yeah. Well, Soren has asked, uh, in a competitive list, how is important How important is it to outdrop your opponent, uh, even if it means taking things that you wouldn't want to take? Uh, I... Uh, it's... Kieran? You no, Kieran, you're the guest. Kieran, you go. Oh, um, it... This, it, it largely depends on the army. I'd say, like, some armies absolutely want to know if they're going first or going second. Like, they want to dictate um, the early flow of the game. Uh, Slanesh is a great example. Slanesh does not want to be outdropped. Um, if you get double turned to Slanesh, um, you don't, possibly don't get a chance to summon. That can be game over turn two because how quickly your army dies. Um, just other things. Whereas, say, like, Ossiarchs, I don't think Ossiarchs care too much if they don't have turn order. It depends, because they're just so tough. An army that's really tough, don't care as much. Army that's fragile as hell, they care a lot, I'd say. Or an army that has, like, they need to get moving early, for example. Yeah. Liam? Um, similar to what he said about, like, depends on the army. Like, remember the good old days when Sylvan have had to go first, so it did matter? Mm-hmm. And then yep. now it doesn't actually matter. And also, to me, like it doesn't really matter because it all really depends on how do you deploy. If that makes sense, if you could get out dropped right, and then like your opponent's going to decide. And if you deploy in a smart way, you could be like, "Cool, you're going to regret giving me first turn." Like straight up. Mm-hmm. Like um, I've deployed in ways with my new silver Netflix where people are like, "I need to go first to protect my stuff because, or else like you're going to shoot me off." And I'm like, "Yep, that is probably the fairest response you could probably say." So, um, like, honestly, it's really depends on, like, your army, the way you deploy, and the way you play. But, um, honestly, in the current era with Age of Sigma, I don't really actually think battalions and dropping actually matters, because over time you're going to get the hang of deploying against so many different armies when you're at that competitive level. So, yeah. Like, I, I don't think it's important. That's so, my answer. In, I'm going to say in some situations it is important. So, for, for example... Uh, in my Cities of Sigma Hallow Heart list, which is a very spellcast orientated, uh, I have a lot of spellcasters, but a lot of spells that require 18 inches or less um, to cast spells. 
So if I got given first turn, I've lost essentially one of my five magic phases because I'm not getting to use as many spells. Or that could be a sh uh, an army that's heavily shooting. Um, if your range is only 24 inches, there's a good chance you're going to waste one of your five shooting um, phases. So in some situations, and if you've got a strategy that relies on something like I've just mentioned, yeah, you want to go first or you want to choose who goes first. But I think, Liam, you're right. You know, critical, perfect example, Gary Percival has said it's critical for KO. You know, their, their damage is being done in shooting. So if you uh, if you have to waste one of your five shooting attacks and then you go to get double turned, um, that could be game over very quickly. But Liam as well, I think you're right. Uh, not as many strategies are reliant on dictating first, at least as, as they used to. Yeah, yeah I, I'd agree. Uh, Mark Warfer said, uh, when building a list, do you tailor to beat the top armies or more of a like, utility uh, knife that kind of can beat everyone? Uh, I guess depends. Sometimes I'll go for either. Uh, I design my Slanesh to counter other Slanesh whereas my um, my Ossiarch list I'm building up in the moment is designed more for just general play, um, where... I'm trying to make it so if I come up, whatever I come up with, I should have a decent chance. Yeah. yeah. Um, how many, when we're talking about wounds and bodies, is there a, an optimum amount of wounds or uh, bodies that we want to have uh, in a list? You know, is, is 100 wounds okay? Um, you know, I think of, for example, the ogres. You know, I think of the more tribes, and they have a lot of wounds, but, a lot, but not many models in a unit. Um, when you think about the amount of wounds and the amount of models you have on the table, is there a number or a, or a guiding principle that you like to work off? I Is it okay if I take this one? Because I've got a pretty good answer. Yeah, like Kieran's yeah. thinking so much. Kieran's yeah, thinking so much. Go for it. Um, I need to go back. When this answer is, it depends on the scenario chosen. Let's just say um, we play Scorched Earth and you need bodies to screen, right? Like, that's one thing in case. But I know for a fact that, like, Monster Mash this year has definitely been a thing where people actually don't even care about model count. Like, I ran five, I ran six models uh, for four months, and I did all right. We're talking, about, my, we're talking about your flesh eater course here. Yeah, yeah. I ran six models or whatever, and I did well. And, like, did everyone summon, did laughed. You, did you summon, though? I did summon, but like it's still not enough from what you could like it compared to let's just say this. Let's say I went up against a hundred like eighty witch elves, right? And I rocked over six models. Even with my summoning, I still am not up to the number against that doors of cane player. I am still fastly outnumbered. But like I don't really think it's actually all that matters about like your wound or whatever, because if you've got those six models, they're probably powerhouses, they're probably all hammers. For example, fleshy course, it was all hammers. And stuff, and I had to like play like really well, but like when I, it's just it's very much depends on how you play, and also what the scenarios are decided. Like I knew very quite quickly that there's some scenarios that I could not go up against, and that's when I went. I need more bodies, and that's when I went to the Holomon list. And that's been a struggle so, yeah. of let's say the Beast Claw Raiders or even the the Gut Busters. Well, um, and, and, and until recent with some changes. Until recently, and, but yeah, but that makes them more like, competitive. Now. Yes, yes, because now they've got rules that allow them to count um, the amount of bodies and they count more than just one model. Um, yeah. Now, 
Kieran, what would your answer be? Because I know that you've run different army lists with different model counts, very different model count. You went from 60 Grimgast Reapers to now like only starting with, let's say, 30. <laughs> yeah, it was 27 at 2.5k for Sydney yeah. GT. It was, yeah. Um, I, I guess it just depends. It, like, can my army do what I need to do um, with the models I have? So that list had three Keepers of Secrets in it. Like, they're making up for me not having the bodies and the hell striders those um little skirmish cavalry i use their six inch pylon to basically um tie down horde units that can't retreat and charge and like just kind of dictate board control like that that's the idea behind the list essentially whereas like say yeah with 60 plus which else it's completely different you're just trying to flood the board get up get on the objectives, make your opponent come to you. Yeah. I think another so, consideration is how how accurate and true are those wounds? So I'll give you an example. Um, the Phoenix Guard. Phoenix Guard is a block of 30, and they have a 4-plus save and then additional 4-plus save. So while it is a technically a 30-wound unit, 30 models, there's a strong likelihood that, one, I'm going to um, negate a whole bunch of those saves, and then with Emerald Lifeform, I can bring them back. So that, that 30 isn't really 30. It's probably more like 45 or 50 wounds. When I think about the armor save, I think about, you know, the, the ability to knock off wounds or bring models back, you know, Grimgast Reapers or anything from death. Again, it might be a block of skeletons, but with regeneration abilities, that block of 30 over the duration of the game could be more like 60 between the six up, you know, uh, additional save, the bringing back from, from heroes and, and grave sites. So... Um, and I think, Liam, to your point as well, it's the way you use those bodies. Yeah. Yeah, so. exactly. It's just, like, Beast Corps Raiders now is definitely going to be the Monster Mash top-tier army, in my opinion. Like, they got the answers now, which is cool. Good to see them back. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, Gary Percival's asked, why are we not seeing more KO? And uh, why why do we not see more players playing with deep kin? Um, and he believes that they are an uh, an overall uh, strong faction, so they're well rounded. Uh, do we? Why don't we see more KO? And why don't we see more deep kin? Uh, um, I, I guess it can just be just how the metal works, like. Uh, it, like a KO are reliant on I shoot you to death, I don't want you to get close to me, but you've got these armies I can kind of withstand their shooting whether it's through summoning or just being so tough and then um, the KO player can't get them off the objectives, can't win the game that way, like the traditional way um, and then is it is it more than just the competitiveness? Is it is it a cost? Is it uh, the style of the army is it a stigma? Is it uh, is it? Um... They are a niche range. How how often? Like if we like steampunk is a very different style of taste for some people, right? Like I know for a fact. Let's not talk like like steampunk is a very different fashion style kind of thing. Like I know there's a very niche small market for like. I have steampunk no interest in I, ha- I I I I hate the aesthetics. Uh, I could yep. not see myself play because because for me it's not fantasy enough, and my perception of fantasy is high fantasy. Um, yeah. So I agree and with you there. It's, 
it's not going to fit everyone's taste. Um, also, I don't really think it helped that there was a massive misprint in a few War Scrolls in the release, and that, I think, left a foul taste for a lot of people being like, what's the point of buying this book if there's so much mistakes in it? Um, that's my um, opinion on it. It's just the fact that, like, yeah, it's just they're not for everyone. Like, KO is just not for everyone. I'd probably say... Like, Fireflies are a good example. I say I think all three of them as well are, are, are armies that aren't cheap to enter as well. They're 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 they're, yeah. they're start collecting Fire, boxes came far too late or they didn't have what you needed. Fire slayers yeah. is literally if you it's either you're gonna buy a house in Sydney or you're buying a fire slayers army. You got to pick one. Like it's yeah. one or the other. Yeah. The um, unsecret life of us is the lack of diversity is stopping people from taking 100. percent Like I have no interest in the naked yeah. baby dwarves. Uh, a little something a little bit different uh, would would uh, attract me. Not to say that Fire Slayers players, you do your hobby, do what you want to do. But for me personally, that lack of model diversity and range is is what's stopping me from getting into any of those armies. Oh, except for Deep now, King. Deep King's a little bit different. Now, to answer his Deep King question of why we don't see them a lot is actually they aren't all like they might be all round, but like they aren't answering a lot of the questions that we're currently having with today. If that makes sense. Like currently, our question is, how do we deal with Sinesh? And they're a massive, as I said before, they're a massive depravity pool for them. Like all Sinesh players would froth over going up against Deep King because all it is is multi wound. Um, so, yeah. But like, great thing is though, like I would be like with my Sylvan Army, I'll be so scared to go up against a Deep King player because they shut down my shooting completely. Mm. So, yeah. So like, they have answers to things. Like they're one of those armies where. They have answers to some, they don't have answers to everything, and that's why I don't actually I disagree with him saying they're not an all-round faction, in my opinion. Um, that's just me. So yeah. Um uh, Buckets has asked um when it comes to triumphs, and let's say for example, we're playing a two thousand point event, uh, we've got nineteen seventy built out so far. I've got thirty points to left. Do I A leave it at nineteen seventy and go for the triumph? Do I B add an endless spell? What what comes into your mind? Is it is it worth going for the triumph, and why? Mm, depends on what you're running, I guess. Like some armies don't have spell casts, so like you you just go like, yeah, I'll take the triumph because I can't take endless spells anyway. Um, other armies where it's it's more of a choice. It it depends. Can that thirty points get you an endless spell that's gonna help your list, or is it? just a points filler and then you go okay way up would a potential triumph like giving a unit reroll or wound rolls a free battle shock immunity a potential i think extra command point like um you just way up let's assume it's under, be... let's assume that it's under yeah. a command point so it's 40 points or less yeah yeah um i guess it, yeah you just way up is the endless spell going to help you more than randomly rolling on the triumph table um that's probably the best way to look at it because if, if you get it you there's, there's a likelihood that you may not get it uh your opponent may yeah, have exactly. uh, 1960 so yeah liam triumphs i, I go here I, oh, uh, I i usually go for the endless spell um but um yeah that's just me quicksilver swords palisades you've got um shackles have gone up to 40 now but you've got 40 points left shackles you've got the little maelstrom there's a whole bunch of stuff that's 40 points or less. Triumphs are terrible. Why? Because it's no longer a D3. It's a goddamn D6. That's your, that's yeah, your that's only that's 
Um, well, the fact that some of the triumphs are completely useless, like for example, the rerolling charge ones you have to declare before you charge, you can't declare it after you try for a charge. Um, and then same with like, there's like, there's a couple of uses, like they're just useless. The D3 was so much better where it's either hit wounds or saves, so much stronger, so much better, game changing in my opinion. And that's the whole point of a triumph is to balance it out in a way where like you're underpointed, so you need that extra boost. Um, like even though like the extra command points nice, but sometimes you just like at the moment in the game, like I have so much excess of command points where I'm just like, why do I need that one extra? Like, why you'd do I rather, need that one extra? You'd rather go for an endless spell if it's an option. Yeah, if I can add an endless spell. If not, I just go whatever. Um, if I get the triumph, I just don't even bother rolling for it half the time because like they're just, I miss the D3. The D3 was so much stronger, so much better. All right, hashtag bring back the D3 for William. Bring back the uh, D3. Uh, Ken, Ken, Kenny the Plumber, we love Ken up in Ballina. He said, uh, how much do you consider the acquisition cost of an army when writing a list? Really good point, because if you change your list too often, you're buying more models you're not going to use. So how important is acquisition cost coming into play when you're writing a list? It, do it doesn't come into play too much for me. I basically, I well... I don't start armies that often. I might start like two armies a year and that's it. And I'll just stick to them. Um, and I, I just pick what I like, go from there. Yeah. Uh, my thing is when it comes to it is you got to make sure when you're buying armies, you're going to collect it for a long time. Like that's the thing. Like if you're one of those people that's chopping and changing armies every three or four months, yeah, sure. Make sure the costs are in like the way in effect kind of thing. Like, I, like, for example, I knew I really wanted the Bone Daddies straight up. I wanted them so badly. And I looked at my model collection. I'm like, I actually don't want half these armies that I used to collect anymore. So I'm going to sell them. And just so I can, like, get that, if that makes sense. But, like, the cost didn't matter to me. It's just, like, I wanted to clear up space kind of thing. But cost doesn't matter to me. Um, as in, like, it's just because I know if I'm going to get this army, I want to make sure I collect it because I really like the models. Yep, and, like, uh, and on, on the flip side, I uh, went out and acquired the Lord Ar uh, Arcanum on foot, which is a very rare uh, model to find. I was very fortunate to buy it at a very low price from uh, Roberto Rimas, a uh, good friend, the mother of dragons. Um, and he, he gave me at a really good price, but I've literally dropped him straight after the tournament. Now, one thing I could have done differently, now I bought him for a the tournament specifically, but if I was thinking about for more a long-term play, I might have wanted to practice with different models on the table. Maybe I have an empty base that I use. Um, now, very similar to Liam, I don't worry about cost, so I can buy a model. Of, I'm sure I'll use it at a later stage. Um, but if you're price sensitive, uh, practice, proxy, find ways to see if this model or models are going to do what you expect before you invest in, you know, not just the investment, it's the building, it's the painting, then you realize it's not really what you wanted. Yeah, like you got to make sure that like you like the models, but you're going to be able to stare at them for a very, very long time. So, yeah. What happened to the beard? It's a Movember. I'm raising money for men's health. So uh, if you want to donate to the mustache, and that's why the beard is gone. Uh, uh, autumn Gaming. It's like autumn, but not autumn gaming. Aldum Gaming. Uh, that's why the mustache is gone. So I'm sorry. that it's, Sorry, the, the beard is gone. Um, well, we're chipping through questions. We've got a couple more here. Um, when you're looking at, at a competitive army, this is coming from Rob Lewis. Uh, what are some of the core elements that you have in the criteria when you're picking one over the other? Is it just synergies? Is it just uh, allegiance? Is it? 
Wait, so what's this question? Wait, what? Uh, so, uh, so my question is uh, very basic and potentially, uh, basically when you look at a competitive army, uh, what are the core elements that it has to have? Uh, and then what's the criteria that you use to pick one model over another? Okay. I think I've got an answer for this, but Kieran, you go first because you... Oh, okay. Um, I, I guess I just look at, um, well, like, say, the picking one unit over another. I, I, I look at, okay, are these units, what role are they filling? If it's two units that fill the same role, um, a lot of the times um, they'll have... Yeah, like the different synergies available to them. I look at the synergies, look at how the allegiances affect them. Um, and I go like, okay, what would suit my style of list better? Yeah. I, yeah, for me, it's kind of like, you just look at, for the core elements and stuff, I just kind of look at like the allegiance because that's, as I said, the foundation for the whole army. Like, how is that allegiance going to work? And then when I pick their units, I make sure that they're getting the full effect of that allegiance ability. So let's have a look at, for example, Sylvaneff. Their allegiance is the Wildwood, so I make sure that most of my units are getting full effect of that. So, for example, let's look at a Branch Witch and a Branch Wraith. 80 points, Wizard, access to same spell law, access to the same artifacts, pretty much the same, different spells, different roles. One gets a neg one to hit being near Wildwood, the other one doesn't, right? So I'm going to pick the one that gets a buff out of that Wildwood, which is free to my allegiance ability. That's how I pick for my competitive list in a way. Does that make sense? Like I'm making sure that I'm picking stuff that get the full effect of my allegiance ability. If that helps to understand like why I kind of do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah, that, that's a good example, especially because the branch wraith can summon dryads, and that's like that's amazing. Branch which doesn't get anything like as good no. as that ultimately. Yeah, um, but then also, yeah, it's just one of those things where like you just pick it, you go cool. They're fulfilling kind of like a similar role, but the other one's doing clearly a better job and it's using the full effect of the elite's ability. While the branch witch, you can kind of like build it outside of a Sylvanath army in a way, like that branch witch bomb. Be like, cool, I can do something around this. Like, yeah, that's kind of, like, the best way to just answer your question, man. So, yeah, like, I just kind of, like, use the allegiance ability as a foundation to build up my elements. So, yep. yeah. I would agree with that. A couple of other quick questions. Jared Wilson has said, what, the, uh, what is the theory of having something in every phase uh, versus, like, a shoot cast, which is, I guess, I guess all in one phase? Uh, do we have a thought around... So my Gloom Spike Kids, for example, is a very heavy magic phase. Um, and when things don't go your way, uh, then uh, you're going to have a bad time. Uh, on the flip side, sometimes your tricks really work, sometimes they don't. So you're rolling the dice. Uh, what are your thoughts on going all or nothing or having a bit of everything? Um, it's another one that's completely army dependent. Some armies just naturally do everything in the fight phase or um, they have movement shenanigans or like Zench. Um, they're all about casting spells like Gloom's Fight and basically penning you in with lots of endless spells and just these endlessly respawning ways of horrors that you just can't get through to get to those key heroes. Like, that's an army that focuses in on basically one phase. Um, on the flip side, you've got she's... people like Legions of Nagash that don't even have really a choice to get into the, the shooting phase. They've got some very short-range shooting, but it's not even a thing. Yeah. 
or like the contrast with this, like Caesar Sigma. Caesar Sigma can do literally everything. You can do magic well with Hallowheart. You can do shooting well with um, all the various elf, dwarf, human options, the artillery. You can do combat well. Executioner's great swords, Phoenix Guard. Uh, you got lots of high movement units. Um, there's yeah, it, it depends on what you're running, basically, like what army you're playing, like kind what's available to, to you. Kind of goes back to the meta question as well, as what am I expected to face? Um, yeah. If I don't want to engage in combat, I've got some really cool shooting maybe from long range, but then that might sacrifice my point allocation into casting because you can't have everything in your army. It's just impossible. You know, you can have a really big character like Nagash, but that means that you're sacrificing in other areas. So... Think about that game plan that Liam uh, keeps talking about and obviously practice, practice, practice. Yeah. Um, we kind of acknowledged this one before, but how uh, how much the tournament packs affect a list? Uh, but the part that I wanted to get out of Warsoren's question is how do you mitigate the effects uh, of a, a tournament pack that may be at a disadvantage to you? Let's say it's very hero heavy. Maybe it's playing in a realm that doesn't work in your favor. Um, like how do you... How do you mitigate the, the a tournament pack that isn't good for you? So the first one, obviously, is change your army. That's just like if you want to do well and it's just not favorable to you, don't run that army. That's just the obvious one. Well, let's just let's just think of this situation, right? Let's just say there's like an event happening in three months, right? And he just finished an army for CanCon. Let's just put this like in a setting, right? Like there's like a pack out and he has three months after CanCon to decide a list for this. Let's just put that in a setting. Yeah. I reckon, in my opinion, if either you tweak your list, don't change it completely, but tweak it to answer those questions that that scenario pack is asking you, and then spend those three months to practice and tweak it. Okay, like you just finished painting like your whole army for CanCon or whatever big tournament, and then the next one that has a different pack, you go, cool, I'm gonna change this up, I'm gonna add in even more heroes or add this artifact to this hero and stuff to answer to this question and just practice with that. Like your gameplay might have to change a bit, but then it comes into practice and most scenario packs are generally out quite early to give you an answer to that, which is good. Um, like we got given our scenario pack for CanCon three weeks ago or something, yep. just so we can work out what we're going to build our armies and stuff around. So yeah. But in, but in fairness to some of the listeners here, um, their tournaments don't announce the the rounds and the the scenarios until on the day or even 15 minutes before the rounds commence. Well, so if we're talking about not, also... Not everyone has that option, but yes, in Australia, yep. there's a good chance that you know what's coming. Well, if that's the case, then we've got to go through back my checklist that I mentioned at the start of the show. Can my can your army answer these scenario questions? Can it hold in Drelia Death? Can it do this in Knife to the Heart? Can it do this and this and this? If we can do that, you're good to go. Like that is generally it. Like have that checklist of like like my best is like this is for anyone now. Just grab your journalist handbook, write down like pretty much a short list of what the scenarios do and like how to win them and like what are their conditions. Then just go for your army list and then just be like, cool, can I do well with this one? Bang, can I do well with this one? Bang, bang, bang. That's how you do it. A, a great yeah. example, uh, we had a discussion, I think, in the car only days ago, which is around Scorched Earth. That's a scenario that we don't see very <laughs> often. There's eight, there's eight objectives. We're traditionally used to trying to claim four to six objectives. Do six. I have enough units and bodies to be able to claim up to eight objectives, to hold four and then kind of acquire four? So, no army does. No, but, 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 if, but if that's going to be a scenario that's coming to you or it's a likelihood there's a chance it's going to be in your pack, you need to think about that scenario to your point with a checklist 
what would I do in this situation? Do I just yeah. give up one or two of those objectives and really concentrate on two and acquire two? What do I do if I can't hold and retain? Am I am I like a very high strike, go out and try to burn theirs before they get to mine or what's the plan? That's when it comes to practicing. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. Knife to the Heart, for example, is, a, is, is one that I've always struggled with with my free guild because I don't have the movement shenanigans to be able to march up the board and claim that by turn five without yeah. some, and especially in the olden days where you had to have five or more models, I didn't have five or more models uh, that could really get there. So by I had the end of that, yeah. yeah, so I had to play for the minor or I had to find some really funny shenanigans and obviously things like the, the Soul Screen Bridge now help or the, the Uber driver, but it's, it was a limitation or I had to say, look, my free guild just aren't the army that's going to help me here. I need to play with my kids. I need to play with something else. Um, yeah. If that option exists for you. Kieran, anything you'd add to this? I think you guys have covered it pretty well, honestly. Sweet. A um, couple of last questions. Uh, Matt Davis has said, how many heroes do you think on average in a 2,000 point list? So assuming you're not Splanesh. Uh, what's a good amount of heroes you want to have? Is it three? Is it four? Is it two? Uh, uh, I generally aim for three or four. I think that's generally a good mix for most armies. And like some of them will probably be cheap. One or two might be more expensive, but like I usually aim for three or four. So nice. I, I, it's just to get like casters, especially in prayers, whatever I need. Let's look at. Three places of arcane power, whatever. It's three objectives. Heroes hold it. If you do three heroes, you're probably one of one dies. You can only hold two, and then when the other one dies, done. You got one left. Four. You always have a backup. So I think four is actually a sweet spot. Three or four is a sweet spot. Um, and yeah, and also it really depends on what kind of heroes you have in your army. Like for example, battle mages are squishy as all hell. Um, and like anything on foot really is like a six or seven wound hero, pretty much with a four up or five up save, unless you're a storm cast with a three up save, um, you're probably going to get squished. Um, my, my, so... my kids, I was running around probably five to six on average because they're cheap. Yeah. They've got four wounds at most. Um, they're just really squishy. So, um, yeah, but then oh, you yeah. also have, but, but your kids also have some bigger heroes though, that can be a bit more durable, but that For is sure. very more point. That makes it makes your army very top heavy. Yeah, I mean, my last gits list was like six six little little wizards. I had Scragwat, which is two twenty. He's probably the most durable, but it was only six wounds. You know, he's still uh, not as powerful as you know Marathi. Um, yeah. You know, a Stormcast wizard is you know one forty one sixty versus a grot, uh, grot one, which is like eighty to ninety. So. Yeah. Um, I think points as well as choices, but I think on average, Kieran, you nailed it. I think three to five, you know, kind of four is kind of the sweet spot. I think to your point as well, Liam, if there's scenarios that require three heroes and you only got three, if I can take out one of those straight away, I'm I'm, I'm denying you points from scoring. So, yeah. Um, Again, just looking at packs and you're just working out what do I need to do. So, so we're um, hearing a common theme: the meta, practice, and the packs. So yeah. I think yeah. they're three common things so far. Uh, like a, a good point is just your points allocation. So if, if you're running the gash, um, it's really good for duality, not so good for the free place of power because 
you won't have the points to fit in other heroes with him generally. Like you might get one or two. And then you become like more reliant on the gash. Um, whereas, yeah, like say Gits, they have lots of cheaper heroes you can afford to fit in more. Um, so yeah, it, it depends on your allocation for heroes as well. Matt Davis asked around uh, centerpiece models and he was saying that he found things like Ilariel, uh He's come from a 40K background where they do have a lot of centerpiece models. And he said, or he's asking around, you know, uh, at least he noticed that um, when he has a centerpiece model, a Nagash, a Marathi, an Ilariel, you know, these big Archeon, they often seem to draw fire. Now, is that a good or a bad thing? Um, should you be taking these types of heroes to draw fire and accept that? Uh, or do you think it's a good strategy to not take them to um, spread out those attacks or, you know, not concentrate people uh, towards a certain path? Depends on what you're going for, I guess. Like, um, say, for Bone Reapers, mentioning Nagash again. In a Bone Reapers army, Nagash is ridiculously tough. He's got a two-up save, rolling once, and a four-up against mortal wounds. Like, you're not going to get through him that easily. So if it, you want him to soak up some damage because he can heal himself too. Um, whereas like a, a Mario, like a Go-Trek, oh, like go right? Like Go-Trek's 500 yeah, exactly. um, like yeah. one, one, one fourth of your army if it's a 2,000-point battle. Um, Go-Trek's on the table. Does everyone attack him? Do they ignore him? Like, is that a good good strategy? You, you, if you're taking this model that's presenting your opponent with a difficult choice, that model's worth it. That's yeah. the way I say it. It's like, yeah. Agreed. I think the question as well for me is, what do you do with the rest of the points? If if you know Marathi is going to cop the attention, that means I've got 1,500 points or 1,400 points or 1,600 points to, to be unwounded while people focus on Marathi or Gotrek and they can do their thing. So if I can maximize that and kind of uh, avoid that focused fire, uh, or I draw, draw them that way, then I can, might be able to surprise them with something different or something hard hitting because while they're, they're so freaking out about the, 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 um, the Ghoul King on Terrorgeist. Cool, I'm gonna hit you with something else. I'm gonna hit you with horrors. I'm gonna hit you with you know, something different. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then final, the last question, uh, we've gone we've gone through a lot of questions, so this has been pretty cool. The last question is coming from Chaos Spawn Wargaming. He's asked around the personal flair, and um, do you think it's do you think it's a good thing to be able to include some of your favourite models uh, in a competitive list, even if it's not uh, if it's suboptimal? So, I'd say absolutely. Um, I I like I I've not had. That's probably how I'm using it, but I've not had great experiences with Alarial in a lot of my games lately, but I, like, I don't care. She's great. I love her. I'll keep running her. Um, could I run something else that might be better? Possibly. Um, but that's something I'd have to try, but like, it, it depends what you want. Do you want to run that cool unit? Run it. Just, yeah. just run so it. I did that with my Colossal Squeak. Uh, you know, it was probably for 300 points, I could have run another Loon Boss on Mangler Squeak. Um, I probably could have done a bit more synergy, um, or even Manfred. I could, probably could have used those points better in a Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon. But uh, I love those two models. I wanted to build around it. Um, I accepted some of those limitations, but I was happy to have them on the table. So uh, I would absolutely say if you want to run a competitive list, again, it depends on 
your definition of competitive? Is it five and O? Oh? Is it more wins and losses? Um, if you're going five and O, oh, then yeah, Manfred may not be the right way to go right now. Um, unless you're super practice and you have some amazing strategy. Liam, any other thoughts on that one? I do it all the time. Dirthu, people say he's not amazing. And like, let's be honest, sometimes he whiffs and I'm like, cool, that's fine. Like, Derfu, I wish like... Dirthu? Dirthu, yeah. It's yeah. his other nickname. But like, it's just, I would... Like, if I wanted to, like, go full five and I was still enough, I would take him out, put in, like, a branch rate or something extra, and then add another unit of Cone of Hunters with the artifacts and just go 12 Cone of Hunters with bows instead of my nine and just do even more shooting kind of thing. Like, if that's if I really want to be like, screw you guys, I want to win. But, no, I want Durthu because, one, I put so much time and effort into him that, like, he has to be in. And... Yeah, and like that's what I do. Like I do it all the time. And for, and, and for anyone who doesn't know what Liam's Durthu is, it has the body of Marathi, so the snake body, uh, and then kind of going into a tree. So when he says he does work, it's more than just dry brushing some branches. Uh, it's an amazing piece that you can check out on Twitter. Yeah, it's one of those things where like yeah, I put so much time and effort into it. That's why he's in my list. And like, and also I've loved Durthu since I first got given Silvernip. Like, yeah, like. He's just fun. It's also just really entertaining, just either him either doing like zero damage or 36 damage. Like we just don't know yet. We'll just we'll find out. That's the whole part of my game. It's just like we'll find out how much death we can do today. So yeah. Like when he killed 30 Gringas in one go. That was still a complete accident. I did not want that to happen. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who has no idea what about the story is, I charged Durf into Grimgar's Reapers just to hold them up. Not to do anything else, but to hold them up. Comes in swinging, just kills him and i'm like nope that's not what i want you to do i want you to just hold them up not do that well and yeah i regret it instantly because they all came back i was like this is the worst thing ever yeah. that Bad was him rolling. being a derp. Yeah. that that was him being a derp straight up we love that yeah. so we have talked almost two hours on competitive list building is there anything else that you guys would want to add before we start wrapping things up uh actually i'll i'll end this with um uh, Rob Lewis's comment. So he's brought up a really good comment. He said he talked about cursed units and he thinks that there is some awesome, uh, he's just got units that just fluff no matter what. Um, do we have a cursed unit? So what's everyone's cursed unit? Let's wrap things up. What just whips, what just doesn't do what it's meant to do no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do. Um, for me, it was my Nagash. Every time I used him, it's like hitting on twos, reeling ones. I'd roll ones and ones. Had the two up save, reeling ones, ones and ones. I'd never made the four up against some old words. He just 800 points back then, I think he was. Of just, he didn't, he was just like a wet fart. He did nothing. He just stank up the board. My one is Marathi's tail. Just Marathi's tail. That's it. Nothing else. It's just Marathi's tail. That's all I can say is Marathi's tail. That was not a fun time. So I, got, pain. I have one model and one allegiance ability. So this might surprise you. I'm like, how can an allegiance ability whiff? So I'll start with the allegiance ability, the, the bad moon. There's been so many times that I've had the bad moon. You roll a dice on a roll of two to five. It moves one spot. A roll of a six, it moves two spots. And a roll of a one, it doesn't do anything. Uh, there's been so many times where, I, uh, where on that dice roll, I roll a one. 
and I roll it consecutively. The last game I played with my gits, I rolled four ones in a row. And uh, I've scrag rot, which allows me to control a once per game. I'm like, nah, surely I can't roll a one again. I roll that one. So that allegiance ability is to me. And then the unit that continues to whiff is the free guild general on Griffin, who hits his opponents with a pillow. Uh, you know, everyone has luck with the sort of judgment and all those other weapons that he could have. My guy uh, has no arms. He can't hit anything. There's no point. Uh, it's all about the mount, not about the guy on top. So that's why I've never gone sort of judgment because he would never hit in the first place. It's really funny you say that because Danny Payne's one is the complete opposite. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like my cursed unit, uh, it's like hit on fours, wound on threes. I can bring it down and he still doesn't hit. Uh, so that's the cursed unit. And um, why is that in my city's army? What is your most fire unit then? Fire unit? Yeah, what's the one unit where oh. you know it's going to do well? So then, then we'll close I it off because talk... I'm super interested about this. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I talked a little bit of smack about her earlier, but for me it is Alaril. Because usually if she dies for me, it's because I misplayed. But my god, when I get her into combat, like she should not roll as well. She, she killed 10 EVKs in one turn for me at last year's GT. I was like, oh, okay. And she just she was just doing that the whole tournament. I'm like, all right, all right, I can't complain. Keep um, yeah. like, yep, cool. Keep going. Anthony? Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a story in with one of our viewers, Matt Davis. Uh Breeze Hammer, game four, uh Sylvaneth first gloom spike gets. Uh turn one, I get a charge with five fanatics into a Lariel. I do thirty so so twenty-eight attacks out of a possible thirty with a Ren two damage three, uh D three. Uh kill a Lariel in the first turn. That Fnatic then rolls a 12-inch charge in turn two and does 27 hits into Durthu. Kills Durthu right away. So that one 140-point unit just went on an absolute massacre. So my Fnatics are, are beautiful. Even though they hit on fours, wound on threes, they are absolutely gold. And Matt's in the chat. He's laughing his ass off because he was there. I couldn't believe those dice rolls. You're all five dice, and they were like just sixes. Um, and I swear he probably thought I was a cheat. So, yeah. Quick question. Um, so we have asked GW to bump up points for Fanatics, yeah? Yeah, uh, yeah? Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, cool, cool. No, they should go down. I mean, they're good for me. They're, uh, yeah. But And, and Matt Tyrrell as well, uh, Morgas with the Halberds always fail him. I love them. They are so beautiful, but they fail uh, Matt. So I would love to hear what your uh, everyone's failed cursed unit is. Liam, and that's in the show, what is your favourite uh, glorious unit? Okay. I've got two very strong ties. One of them is the Terrorgeist, because that thing is ridiculous. It's just straight ridiculous, just stupid. My other one is my Crown of Hunters with Sides. Those guys, busted. Like, they are so good for what they do. Like, I kid you not... At Runex last week, or the other weekend, they were my MVPs every single game, just without fail. They were just doing just kind of hunter things. Just let's like I just I just threw them at something. They're like, cool, we'll kill that for you. Oh, we'll go here, we'll kill that for you. Oh, you just want to hold that up? Yeah, we'll do that for you as well. I'm like, can you please stop? Like, just stop. Like, they were just too good. I'll let Games Workshop know they need to increase uh, the Kurnoth Hunters up to 400 points for three. 
So uh, uh, I think I'll no. Liam. No, because I've asked for Bose to go down. <laughs> Anyways. All right, we are at the end of the show. It has been two and a half hours of glorious chat when it comes to competitive list building. Who needed the failed charge Mick Crichton? He couldn't be here because of work. <laughs> but but we've got Shadow Hammer and we've got Kieran. Kieran, if people wanted to find you, I don't believe you're on Twitter. I don't know if you're on Instagram. If they wanted to chat with you and talk list building, where can they find you on the interwebs? Um, so yeah, I don't have much social media presence outside just Facebook, but, um, I lurk in the Weimar Age of Sydney, uh, Age of Sigma groups for Australia and Sydney. So, um, hit me up in there, find me in there and I'm more than happy to answer any questions and yeah, just chat because yeah, it's, it's a great community, man. I love talking to everyone. Join Instagram, join Facebook, uh, just join Twitter. Twitter. Uh, I joined fun today. I joined TikTok today. I'm going to see if why? I can make Why? Guys, how do I mute him? Mute him. Let's mute him. We're not supporting this. Mute him. How can I mute him? Liam, Liam, uh, Owen Jackson believes uh, Kodos uh, uh, with sides are amazing and he runs 12. So you've got a, you've got, well, you got a lot of friends today. I'm just killing it today. You are killing it. Go buy a lotto ticket. Go, go do something. You are on fire. Liam, if people want to talk to you, they actually want to talk to you um, after this show. Where can they find you? Uh, Twitter at Shadowhammer underscore. Um, Facebook, I'm pretty happy to talk. I've literally, I'm not even kidding. During this show, I've been sent three lists about Sylvaneff, which has been great. So I'll be going through those later. Um, but like, yeah, I'm always happy to talk lists. Like, always happy to. Um, and there's Warhammer, Age of Sigma Sydney page. And then, yeah, and then if you want any complaints, uh, send them to Magro because he loves those complaints. So, yeah. Yep, so, yep. and uh, speaking of complaints, I did mention earlier that uh, there is a feedback form when it comes to AOS Coach. I'm really interested to, to make some improvements for 2020. Uh, there is a uh, Google form in the, the, uh, the episode description. Would appreciate your feedback, and I'm rewarding people with some Games Workshop vouchers or some AOS reminder uh, subscriptions uh, for about five or six people um, based on the constructive feedback, good, bad, indifferent, what you want to see more of, what you want to see less of. Uh, is Liam the guy to talk about with Daughters of Cain? Uh, both Kieran and Liam actually are, are great Daughters of Cain players, so they're both uh, wonderful uh, believers of of the, the, the high powers Kane. of Cain. You know, because Cain is definitely alive, yeah? Yeah, Cain's definitely alive. Totally goes. All right, guys, and you know where to find me. Thank you very much. This has been a blast. I hope you guys have picked up some things and tips, tips and tricks to become more competitive with your list building and think about the way you construct your lists a little better. Uh, we'll, next episode, we're going to have uh, four Masters players who are who literally days before go, attending the Australian Masters 2019, uh, and we're going to probably have some interesting chats. So uh, make sure to tune that one in. Uh, until next time, folks, thanks very much. Happy Wargaming. Lots of sixes and ones. And I think we've got to find up a – I think we need, like, an end quote. i going to make one up. Get good. Get, no, that's – We'll work something out. All right. We'll work something out. Bye. 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 Bye.